0: Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 277, Pena versus Nunez 2. I'm your host Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com, and with me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio
1: Network. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. Pay-per-view week. I'm always excited about that. We got a, you know, a lot of exciting fights, so yeah, I'm excited, man. How you doing? I'm doing really
0: well. Uh, as of right now, when we're recording this, it is less than 24 hours. Or no, okay a little over 24 hours from when we were doing the recap for UFC Fight Night Blades versus Aspinall, UFC London. I can't wait to talk about this card and wash the taste of that out of my mouth because, as we said on the recap, it was a pretty rough card. The undercard of that thing was terrible. There were some fun (laughs) things on the main card, mostly due to Patty and uh, Molly. And then the, I mean, the main event can only be described as as a tragedy, possibly career-altering injury. And a fifteen second fight.
1: Yeah, if the main event of this card ends in an injury and it's three fights in a row, we got to do something different. We have to like try to break the streak. We we'll have to bet on we'll to shave his his head or something to like, try to get you know please the MMA gods. If, if we have yeah, we to
0: need think. an exorcist or something. If we get yeah. that three weeks in a row, I <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, <clears throat> this one, uh, the UFC is back on the road. This one is not taking place at their de facto pay-per-view home of the t-mobile center in vegas this one is in dallas it's in my it's in my state it's uh up at uh is it united center at the dallas uh, uh that the mavericks play in it's whatever the big arena is in dallas okay. uh it's a dallas card it's as you know basically every ufc pay-per-view these days has a title fight at the top it of course has the bantamweight title rematch between juliana pena and amanda nunez uh rematching one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. South of that, it's got a bunch of good stuff. It has some local service for the fans. I mean, it has Texas's most popular fighter. It has Derek Lewis. Uh, I'm gonna throw something at you here. It's been suggested to us a couple of times by Sherdog sure Associate Editor Jay Petrie. I always forget to do it. We're gonna do it this time. When we do the recaps, we always give the card a letter grade as the very last thing. And we, you know, as you point out, we grade it on a curve there are different expectations of a free fight night card than of something that you're shelling out 75 bucks for, but let's give this card a letter grade in advance, like based on what it is on paper, based on your expectations of it, give this card a letter grid and we'll compare As you said, grade it on a
1: curve, grade it on the curve. Yeah. Pay-per-view. Uh, I think if I was a fan and I was living in Dallas and, and you know, they announced, UFC is coming to Dallas. It's going to be a pay-per-view. I'm excited. Like this is the final that's going to be pay-per-view. What am I getting? I know I'm getting Derek Lewis, you know, but what am I going to get as a title shot in the main event? I'm getting is a this Gianna Pena. I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I, I would much rather had that be the co-main event. I understand. Uh, sometimes it's just timing, you know. Certain champions are out. Obviously, I know Usman's injured right now. Francis Ngano's injured, um, you know. I don't know who else, but you know, a couple couple situations yeah. don't happen, so you get this as a main event. I'm much more excited for this main event as I was the last time they fought. Oh, yeah. I think everybody is can say that. Uh I give it a C. Um, it's it's lacking it, it's pretty competitive. Like if you look down the card, there's seven or eight fights I'm pretty intrigued in. But there isn't there's maybe one prospect I really like on the prelims. there. There isn't a star that like you're not going to have a moment at the at the press conference, unless, you know, Derek Lewis says that's a really you know, funny yeah. comedy stick of Derek Lewis. But uh, you don't have that the big name. Uh, I don't know. I, I see.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you here. Uh, I mean, I'm going to check it out. I'd be checking it out even if I weren't doing this professionally. If we were looking at Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes 1 as a headliner, this would be on paper one of the worst pay-per-views ever. You know, where your your main event has a minus 900 oh, favorite. It has at least one probable title eliminator. Your next flyweight title challenger is very li- likely to come out of this. Uh, you know, between the Moreno and Car France and the Pantoja and Perez fights. My mm-hmm. I mean, handweight title eliminator. Yeah. Magomed Ankalaev could, or Anthony Smith could very easily be your next title challenger there, if chips fall just the right way. Lewis and Pavlovich, the winner of that, could be very close, but that would require something to happen to someone else. Sure. I mean, it's not bad. And in terms of local yeah. fan <laughs> service, the you know the uh, the top prelim is Alex Morono, who is a Texas guy. He's a four guy, so he trains right there, and he's going to get a pop from the crowd and probably going to deliver a really fun fight. It should be a real fun night of fights. I, I'm get, giving it a C right flyweight. now.
1: You got two flyweight bouts on the main card. So, like, everyone should be like, Keith, why you just give it a C? This is what you asked for. Well, that's a, <laughs> and that's and exactly what I was going to say. I was asking the women to get respect and flyweights mm-hmm. to get respect. They get it, and I'm, I still give a C. I can't be satisfied. But here's the thing. I'm giving it a C
0: right now, but I strongly suspect that we'll be giving it a higher grade than that. When, yeah, I agree. You know, I hope so. You know, I hope so. First fight up at UFC 277 is a welterweight matchup between two gentlemen who got off on the wrong foot in the UFC and are going to try to prove that they still have plenty of upside. It is Orion Kosey versus Mike Blood Diamond Methetha. Kosi, the 28-year-old from Northern California, is 7-1 overall. He's 0-1 in the UFC after joining out of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted almost exactly a year ago on July 31st of last year, where he got knocked out in the second round by Phil Rowe. That was at UFC on ESPN, Hall versus Strickland. Uh, he'll try to get things back on track against Blood Diamond. The Zimbabwean, by way of New Zealand, is 34 years old, just 3-1 and one as a mixed martial artist. He has had a lengthy uh, kickboxing career. He lost his UFC debut at UFC 271 back in February. Got choked out late in the first round by Jeremiah Wells. He, of course, came into the fight with considerable hype because he is a teammate and close friend of uh, UFC middleweight champ Israel Adesanya. He as well has something to prove here. The odds are fairly close on this one, but Kosy is a slight favorite. He's minus 160. Mithetha out there around plus 135. So, Keith, these are two guys who both came to the UFC with a good amount of hype, deserved or not. Kosi came to the UFC with a certain amount of hype because he was 7-0, had basically blown by everybody in his path, and Blood Diamond because he has a hell of a highlight reel if you include some of his kickboxing stuff, and he's Israel Adesanya's homie. Like, he has a little bit of that same swagger to him, not exactly the same style as a striker, but the ability to generate highlights. They both came up against problems in their UFC debuts, but Kosey's problems look more fixable to me. Kosey on his way up, and this is hindsight. I picked him to beat Uh, I Sorry, not Wells. I picked him to beat Phil Rowe in his debut, but I acknowledged that Kosey was fighting small shows in Northern California, and he just has so much physical horsepower that he was overwhelming everybody. When he had someone in Roe that, okay, he was able to take him down, but he had to work for it. Uh, Roe kept getting back up, and Kosi kept having to hit mat returns. He started to run out of gas, and he started to run out of ideas pretty quick. Uh, And by the second round, Roe was just busting him up on the feet. Thing was over late in the second round. Those are fixable problems if he went back to the drawing board. Because if he can fix those, he has the physical tools. He, I mean... I know you like your wrestle boxers. He's a very good wrestler who, you know, his striking runs off of that. He's definitely, uh, he's a plus athlete. He's strong as an ox. Uh, His problems are fixable. Blood Diamond's problems aren't as fixable. He just, he was overwhelmed on the ground by Jeremiah Wells, who is a good ground fighter. Like he's a solid ground fighter. He's a well-rounded mixed martial artist, but he ain't Damian Maya. And once Blood Diamond hit the mat, he had no idea what to do. Uh, I I don't think of him when we are in this conversation just because he only has one fight in the UFC, but he has as bad a ground game as anyone in the UFC. That's theoretically fixable, you know, but at 34 and with a lengthy, like, you know, 50, 70 fight career in another sport, it seems unlikely. And just based on that, uh, Kosi is not a chinny guy. I don't see... Blood Diamond just lighting him up with one strike. It took uh, row about 30 knees to the face to finally put Kosey down when he was already exhausted and discouraged. I think even if Kosey gets a few things he doesn't like from Blood Diamond on the feet, he's just going to bull his way into the clinch or just shoot on him, take him down, and just mash him. Uh, give me Kosey by a TKO ground and pound late in the first round.
1: Yeah, this is a really intriguing fight. Especially because Blood Diamond, I think it's so weird that that's what they call him. He, he goes by, they didn't even say the Mike method, that just Blood Diamond. That,
0: uh, that's that privilege from being Adesanya's guy. Because yeah. if he was just some other dude, he'd yeah, have to earn like, that. Yeah. yeah, like,
1: shut up, dude. Uh, so, I, Adesanya can get the, the Blood Diamond in the UFC. Like, what's up with Alice Moreno? He can't He can't get you in the UFC? Oh, he doesn't have, he would, doesn't have the would. same pole? <laughs> um, we wouldn't want to see that. <laughs> No, I would. I, I, oh <laughs> you might, you and your family might not want to see it. The rest of <laughs> us would love to see that. <laughs> um, yeah, the blood time it's it's sad because he's such a mystery because there's a lot of film on him as a kickboxer. Listen, this the only film you're going to get of him of MMA is him getting taken out and submitted really quick by Jeremiah Wells. Um, He's a very high-level kickboxer. He's obviously very technical on the feet. Uh, I like that he par- punches, uh, parry punches really well. Large arsenal of kicks, really, really hard kicks. Um, but his grappling did not look good against a guy like Wells, who took him down, um, had no chance to get backed up, got submitted quickly. Uh, he was just simply overwhelmed and, and looked like a guy that is a kickboxer who just... Turned to MMA and got thrown right to the best MMA organization in the world. Uh, the one thing I would disagree on you is you saying that he it would take more than one shot to put Kosi out. There's different levels of of kickboxing. Okay, he's I'm not I don't know if he's Alex Paheya, but he, he is a you know world champion kickboxer. I think he could put out Kosi with one shot. But like it's also very likely that it does take him seven, eight, nine big shots before he puts him out. Kosey, to his credit, well, it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword for him because on the regional scene, his aggression was such a great thing. I mean, he's going 1,000 miles an hour, as you mentioned, just overwhelming his opponents with just aggression. But in the UFC, that's not going to work. The level is so much higher. Uh, the level of athlete is so much higher. Kosi's a southpaw. He does pack serious power in, in, in both of his hands. Every single one of his wins is by way of stoppage. He he makes a mistake of of pillaring. I even said it, I, when I was doing the contender series previews, he like kind of turtles up, which leaves openings to be kicked, to be ripped to the body, uh, to be taken down. He does throw a lot of kicks. It's it's really good kicking game. Uh, if he gets in the clinch, he likes to bat on close quarters, dirty boxing. Uh, one thing he likes to do is, is is press his opponent against the cage and try to like reach over the head and around and try to get like a standing guillotine. It's something he tries a lot. Uh, he's a he's a solid wrestler. He's got uh, not the fastest of entries or not the like most technical entries, but they have him and his brother have this like raw strength where it, if they can just get their arm in the back of your leg, you're going for a ride. Um, he <laughs> he uh, he does like the fat guy wrestling headlock, which I I definitely don't like. Uh, he also throws a lot of he threw a lot of suplexes on the regional scene, uh, which will slow himself down, and that's what we saw against. Um, row row um, mm-hmm. not that the suplexes but just you know tying himself out but when he's on top heavy ground up pound he he doesn't control himself like and, and that'll have him lose position but I have and I actually seem to get his back taken in the past and his obviously his Achilles heel as you talked about is cardio um, he he was easily beating Phil Rowe until he kind of gassed out and then Phil Rowe took over Cosi uh, is not a smart fighter. I could see him coming out like the Tasmanian Devil throwing these haymakers and, and getting his head kicked off, like that's or just running into a big left hook or something. But he should have such an advantage on the ground, like Wells. I can't see him just not just go and get a takedown, land some heavy ground and pound. You went uh TKO from ground and pound. I'll say that uh Blood Diamond gives up his back when he's getting hit with some shots. Cozy locks on a red naked choke. Give me Cozy by first round
2: submission.
0: All right, there you have it. Two picks for Orion Kosi to get back on track in a pretty definitive way in the opener at UFC 277. Next up, we head to the light heavyweight division for a matchup between two up-and-comers that frankly both look pretty promising. It is Nikolai Negamariano versus Igor Pateria. Negamariano, the 27-year-old Romanian, is 12-1 overall. He is three-and-one. In the UFC, Uh, joined the UFC and lost his debut to Saperbek Safarov. That was back in March of 2019. Uh, Missed the whole year after that, the whole first year of COVID. Uh, Came back last year and he's won three straight since. Uh, Starting last June, he's beaten Alexa Kamer, Ike Villanueva and Kennedy Nzechukwu. The most recent of those, the Nzechukwu fight was back at UFC 272 in March. That was a split decision. Uh, He'll be taking on the debuting Pateria 26-year-old Ukrainian is 19 and 2 overall. He is joining out of the 2021 season of Dana White's Contender Series, but overall he's on a 15 fight win streak. Uh on the Contender Series, he knocked out Lucas Adolski in the first round, uh, just kind of lit him up with punches uh, on the feet, finished it on the ground. He is the slight favorite here. He is minus 155 right now, Negamariano around plus 130 or plus 135 as the underdog. I tell you what, Keith, as much as we kind of said, oh, this is a C-level pay-per-view card, for us to have a 26-year-old and 27-year-old light heavyweight the second fight out of the gate with kind of this much upside, again, a debuting guy on a 15-fight win streak, a guy on a three-fight win streak in the UFC, that's not bad. There, I mean, there are some pay-per-view cards that have relative junk this low on the card compared to this, but this is a hell of a fight. Uh, Who you got in this one? And... In a light heavyweight division that you know still wide open. If you haven't fought all these guys yet, if you're not 37 years old, it's not going to take much (laughs) to break into the top 15. Uh, What kind of upside do you see for both these guys?
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't know if well that's such an interesting question. What I've seen of them, I'm not extremely high on. But as you said, based on their age, they're at a fairly. I want to say super young they're not the age where you expect huge improvements. not 23 24 but you know they're starting to get to their prime ages so i can see big improvements i think negro negro i'm i always struggle with this guy's last name you Neg- mariano he he's he's had a lot of improvements since his first fight he looked much better i mean beaten and that's a good win that's a very good win in his last fight and an age well because in chukwu just won his last fight Looked great yep. so um what i expect in this fight is i expect a lot of action uh uh, Neg- you, <laughs> Nick, Nick, Nicholas is he's a brawler. He throws a lot of looping hard shots where he's trying to take people's heads off. Besides knocking out Villanueva, though, he's surprised he lacks power.
2: Um,
1: he he I, I thought he would have more power. Hopefully he's starting to reach his his the age where he's getting some power. So maybe some of that brawling style has started knocking guys out. Uh, he has a lot of defensive holes, though. He backs straight up. Uh, he's he was hurt by Safarov in, in their fight. He can grapple a little bit. He I mean he landed takedowns against uh, Kamara. He landed takedown against enchukwu uh, who is obviously a massive dude, hard to get down. But he was easily taken down against Safarov in their fight, um, and he had no getup game in that fight. He does have three submission wins, though. Move over to Pateria. This guy, as you mentioned, twenty-six years old, southpaw, which I like. Uh, fast hands, has some pop in his hands. He he throws a lot of combinations. He'll, he'll kind of spring forward, throw in looping shots. Uh, they are kind of wild. He he does make mistake of, of hanging his hand, hands low. Uh, he will battle on the clinch. Not a powerful wrestler, but he does have six submission wins, more of a grappler than a wrestler. Uh, I've been wrong about Nega Mariano before. Uh, he surprised me by beating Nchukwu. But I'm gonna go the opposite. I'm I'm gonna go with the newcomer, uh, uh, Pateria. I think they both have very similar styles. I just think that Pateria might have the power advantage. Uh, I if so, if someone gets rocked on the feet, I think it would probably be Mariano. So with that, it's uh, that's having me lean to the newcomer just slightly because of that. So give me, uh, I don't think he's gonna get a stoppage. I I think we could have a, a really fun early prelim brawl. But give me a Pateria by decision. Awesome. I agree with
0: uh, basically your entire breakdown there. The, the debut of Negomariano against uh, Saprobek Safarov back in 2019, that was very concerning if you were trying to look at Negomariano as a prospect because Safarov took him down pretty easily in all three rounds. And as you pointed out, he didn't have much of a get-up game uh, and really didn't even like throw up a ton of submissions from his back. He wasn't exactly like Paul Craig down there. He just kind of made slow attempts to get up and, and got pelted he lost kind of a, a lousy fight he seems to be a different fighter since he came back in 2021 much improved obviously taking out uh, Alexa Kamer and Ike Villanueva that's not the highest level opposition but Kennedy and Zechikud, that's that's a legit win because you know we are talking about a guy that's kind of dancing around the edges of the top 15 and Mariana beat him Pateria, he's on a 15 fight win streak, but a lot of those were at kind of second and third level uh, Eastern Europe and Ukraine events. Like not even like, the the, we're not talking about like ACA and like top level, but some of those dudes that he beat are not good. This is definitely going to, like, I think Negamariano is going to be pretty easily the best fighter that Pateria has faced. And the opposite is not true. I agree that Nega Mariano doesn't have as much power as it looks like he should, because he is a burly dude who looks like he's throwing really hard, but yeah, it's, it's been lacking. I mean, he hurt Alexa Kamer a few times, but never really in danger of, of finishing him. Uh, but I do think I'm, I'm picking Nega Mariano here. Like the, the real weakness I've seen in him, but you know, his takedown defense is not great. And he doesn't have a whole lot of ideas once he gets down there, but I don't think Pateri is necessarily going to take that route. I think this is going to be mostly contested on the feet. Both guys have their shortcomings there. But Negomariano has been in the fire against better fighters. Uh, But Kennedy and Zetchiku is a bigger guy and a more talented guy and a harder hitter than anyone Pateri has fought. And Negomariano was fine except for that horrible, horrible eye poke. Uh, So give me Negomariano in the slight upset to win a decision here, probably just winning two out of three rounds in a pretty fun one. Next up on the UFC 277 undercard is a hastily thrown together women's bantamweight matchup. It is Ji-yeon Kim versus Jocelyn Edwards. In other words, it is a woman who fought at flyweight in her last fight against a woman who fought at featherweight in her last fight. They're going to meet in the middle. Kim, the 32-year-old South Korean, is 9-5-2 overall. She's 3-5 in the UFC. She is coming off of three straight losses against... Alexa Grasso, Molly McCann, and Priscilla Cachoeira, all three of them unanimous decision losses. The most recent of them, the Cachoeira loss, was at UFC fight night Makachev versus Green back in February. She gets one more chance. Uh, She was on the Shillin and Duffy cut list. She was apparently not on the Shelby and Maynard cut list, and that's the one that counts. So she's going to try to get things uh, back on track here against uh, Edwards. Edwards, the 26 year old Panamanian, is 11 and 4 overall. She is two and two in the UFC. She is uh, coming off a win. She beat Ramona Pascual in a featherweight matchup back in June at UFC 275. Took a unanimous decision over her. That is her only fight at featherweight in the UFC. So she is one and two at bantamweight. They're going to meet in the middle at bantamweight here. Originally, Kim was supposed to take on Maria Agapova in a uh, flyweight matchup. But here they salvaged something out of it doing Kim no favors. She is the slight underdog here. She's available at even money or even looks like plus 105 some places. Edwards out there around minus 120 or minus 125 as the slightest of favorites. Uh, I feel as though in your lower level fights, I end up kind of introducing my pick this way, where I'm like, both of these women are borderline ufc talents but there's one of them that i can tell what she does well and the other one there's really not much kim's biggest problem for me is that she is just not physically strong and that's a problem at flyweight flyweight is not a great division right now but most of the women in the division are pretty good size for 125 pounds and most of them are pretty physically strong kim is not she's very tall she's kind of thin uh and is a boxer and kickboxer by preference and Thus far, she's just not been able to keep UFC-quality flyweights off of her. The women she's beaten in the UFC, I mean, she's three and five. She's beaten Justine Kish, Melinda Fabian, and Nadia Kassem. First thing, all three of them are gone. And all three of them kind of played into her style. You know, Kassem and Fabian both wanted to kickbox from outside, and they just weren't as good at it as she is. But Grasso, McCann, Cachoeira, even Antonina Shevchenko, all just kind of bullied her. They dictated the range. and uh, just, yeah, beat her at, at her own game. If those flyweights were going to be able to do that, I think Edwards is absolutely going to be able to do that because Edwards is a Bantamweight. She's a pretty big Bantamweight, and she is a physically strong and athletic one. It is lucky for Kim that Edwards kind of prefers to be an outfighter herself. She seems to be an outfighter who, if it's not, if that's not working for her, she'll actually like go for takedowns or try to clinch. She's just like, I mean, you call people some people all the way in or all the way out. She's really all the way in, and I think she beats Kim at either of those ranges. If they just pot out from the outside, I think Edwards kind of wins a tepid decision and keeps her job, and Kim loses hers. If uh, Edwards decides to force the issue, crash the pocket, get Kim in the clinch, I think she's gonna maul her. Uh, let's. I'm gonna split the difference. Give me Edwards by decision, but like a bad one where she like she beats Kim up bad, and there's just no question.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. This really is a weird matchup being that they were two weight classes apart. Uh, Kim, she's, she's a minus athlete. Like that's that's one thing that you said uh, that's against her being, you said like, she doesn't really do anything good. Well, lack of athleticism that happens a lot of time. She's flat footed. She's slow. She kind of keeps a chin in the air. Uh, she tries to make up with, with some good output. And, and I'll say she's, she's pretty good at that. She stays busy with a jab, but she's a headhunter. She hardly ever goes to the body, hardly ever throws any kicks. Um, she likes to get into the pocket and kind of unload shots. Y- you mentioned she doesn't have a lot of power. Maybe going up to 135, like we've seen that happen. The smaller fighter, not cutting weight, going up, gets a little bit more power. Maybe that happens for her. Maybe she feels better at 135. Uh, she She's willing to – she has a brawling style where she'll like eat a shot to try to land one of her own. But she was getting out – like you talk about like Edwards being bigger. There. She was getting of outmuscled by Alexa Grasso in the clinch. Uh, yeah. She's a bad wrestler. She has weak takedown defense. I mean, she got out wrestled by Antonina Shevchenko. Uh, she, she does have three submission wins. So maybe she can catch a submission. Uh, Edwards was a, was pretty big at featherweight, uh, you know, like she, she's because of her length. Like she can, she can fight at featherweight and have no issues. Uh, she's a, she's a long and lengthy Muay Thai striker who's got good volume. I think she's got some quick hands. Uh, they they do kind of come low from her from her hips, so everything's kind of coming up at you. It's so a little hard to see. Uh, she has some pretty good pop in her, uh, in her shots, good kicks. I like that she targets the body, targets the legs. She throws a lot of deep kicks. She going to she'll do those like, oblique kicks. Uh, I was surprised that she was hurt to the body by uh, Pascal in her last fight. That's that's a little concerning. But you mentioned it. like She gets all the way in. She's going to the Muay Thai plum clinch. Knees, elbows, really easy for her because such a size advantage, especially against uh, Kim. She's going to have a bigger size advantage. You mentioned that she'll go for takedowns. She's a bad defensive wrestler, but she, to her credit, she's hard to hold down. Um, she does make the mistake, though. like If she's not trying to work her way up, she'll throw some submission off the back, which I don't like. But she also has surprisingly has three subs. Uh, I, I'm with you. I like Edwards to win this fight. She's bigger. She's the more decorated striker. I think she lands shots from the outside. I think when Kim gets inside, it's Edwards who, who initiates the clinch, so she's on the offense in there. Uh, I'm surprised by these lines. I would have had Edwards a much bigger favorite than like almost a pick 'em fight. Give me Edwards in, in a in a very comfortable, easy win. I I'm with you here. I mean, obviously,
0: I, I picked Edwards resoundingly as well. I I wonder if the the only thing kind of holding back the odds makers and the betters is the fact that she's stepping on relatively short notice and cutting back down to 135 after yeah, having like six that's weeks ago at 145 that's the only yeah. thing it could be because yeah, otherwise fair. she's better everywhere
1: yeah that's fair
0: we head now to the welterweight division for another kind of quickly thrown together matchup and another debuting fighter it is michael morales versus adam Fujit. Morales, the 22-year-old Ecuadorian, is a perfect 13-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. There, he took a unanimous decision over Nikolai Veritenikov. He debuted in the UFC at UFC 270 this past january shocks trevin giles in giles's uh welterweight debut knocking him out late in the first round so morales seems to be on a mission to single-handedly depopulate texas uh he's going to have to take a break from that as he will be taking on the oregonian fujit uh fujit steps in for ramiz brahimai who withdrew with an injury uh within the last week or two uh fujit eight and two as a professional mixed martial artist, this will be uh, his debut in the UFC. But he's on a four-fight win streak, uh, including a win in February in LFA over Solomon Renfro. Perhaps due to uh, Morales's obvious upside as a prospect, perhaps due to the low uh, to the late notice of the fight. Uh, Morales is the biggest favorite on the card. He is minus 575, Fujit plus 450 as the substantial underdog. I understand why Fujit is such a huge underdog, but it's worth mentioning that he was a plus 400, plus 450 <laughs> underdog to Solomon yeah, Renfro, too. Renfro, yeah. And he knocked him out in 45 seconds. Yeah. And it looked like someone getting knocked out in the cartoon. Like the, the commentators are going crazy. Yeah. He knocked him <laughs> straight off his feet. He spun around like, like a cartoon <laughs> character. Uh, so he. Got his work cut out for him, but uh, talk to me about this fight, Keith. Uh, who gets it done and how?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's gonna kind of fun fight. Yeah, uh, Morales is a guy that you know, going back to Contender Series, just a guy that really jumped out to me as, as as a good fight. And then he got a good win in his UFC debut. Uh, he has all those tools. He's he's a long and lengthy fighter, strong, good striker. He can work from a distance with a jab. Uh, the negatives that I saw in the past, he can throw a lot of single strikes. Though his last two fights, the contender series and the Giles fight, he showed much better output. Uh, he tends to throw from his hips, which is a little concerning. But he does this thing where he likes to sit back, lull a little bit, and then spring, be explosive, spring into the mid-range, and start landing some power shots. He showed off his that he's coming into power. He's only 23 years old. He showed off against uh, uh, Trevin
2: uh, – what's his –
1: Giles. Giles, sorry. I, I was thinking of Trevin Jones. Trevin uh, Giles – uh, you know, he showed his power in his last fight. He he tends to lack a little head movement, he stands a little high for my liking. But being that he's only 23, as you mentioned, yeah, there's tons of errors improvement. Like that could not even be an issue in this fight. Really good kicking game, he throws hard kicks, and he's a really good wrestler. Yeah, he's a you talk about him, he's a national Ecuador wrestling champion. So he, he's really good at winning wrestling exchange. He only has one submission victory, uh, so he's not a threat there. He probably more like hold you down and beat you up, but uh, maybe something again being at his age is something he might ing- improve. Uh, forget, uh, forget if I say it wrong. Forget he he. It, it's hard to be excited for a guy, even though he. Did, you're right. His last fight was a lot of fun, especially. Shout out to the commentators who was like losing this shit over him <laughs> getting getting a knockout. But it's 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 hard to get excited over a guy. Uh, making his debut 33 years old, and he's also taking the fight and, and fairly short notice. Um, he's a southpaw, he, he tends to hang his hands low, very wide, like everything's kind of his hands are kind of kind of what's the word I'm looking for, kind of just loose on the outside, mm-hmm. just kind of dangling around. Uh, but he, he he throws a lot of single strikes, but he's got some decent pop. He throws tons of kicks, ton of deep kicks. Going back, you mentioned the Renfro fight. He threw like ten straight high kicks to start the fight. Like it was like it was like ten in a row, or something like that. Uh, I haven't seen too much of a ground game. Again, this had thrown in really kind of short notice, but he does have three submission wins. So, you, so I do like that. Uh, both guys are obviously fairly new to the UFC. Morales is ten years younger, and he he looks like a future top fifteen guy. Like he that like he has that kind of ceiling. Fouguette just looks like a low end guy in the division. Like, it's nice that he made it to the UFC. But, you know, maybe he'll win one or two matches here and there. But I, I just think Morales is better than Fuget everywhere. I understand why he's such a huge favorite. I think he smashes him on the feet. I think he takes him down when he wants. Uh, Fuget has only been stopped once in his career. So I say he makes it to the distance. But I see Morales kind of styling him for 15 minutes. I, I take Morales an absolute blowout decision.
0: Yeah, I I understand why the line is what it is here. I'm interested to see what how Morales approaches the fight because I agree he should be better everywhere, but if he's going to get in trouble anywhere, it's going to be on the feet. Where he is taking a taking on a guy who demonstrably has a ton of power and does try to leverage it from the get-go. Like he he comes out like a house on fire. If Morales just hangs around and get silly in the first round, he could get caught here. He could get hurt. He might even lose. He'll probably I, he'll probably still win if he just engages in a kickboxing match. He's a better kickboxer. But if he decides to go to his wrestling, he has a much safer route to victory. And I'm interested to see which he chooses or if he has to kind of learn his lesson the hard way, get something he doesn't like the taste of on the feet and then go to his wrestling. I'm going to say that the mismatch here in terms of talent, not to mention that Morales is prepared for this fight and was getting ready to fight Ramiz that was that's a pretty tough test. Uh, I'm going to say that he actually does get uh, Fujit out of there. Give me Morales by second round uh, TKO, and I think this is just a shellacking. I bet we get a 10-8 first round where somebody's a little wobbly headed back to uh, to his corner. Next up at UFC 277 is a lightweight matchup between Dracar Close and late notice uh, replacement opponent Rafa Garcia. Close, the 34-year-old Michigan native fighting out of Arizona, is 12-2-1 overall, He's 6-2 and two in the UFC. He is coming off a win. Uh, he knocked out Brandon Jenkins early in the second round at UFC on ESPN Luque versus Muhammad back in April. Uh, before that, he got knocked out in the second round by Benil Dariush. He'll look to keep the uh, good streak going against Garcia, who steps up for uh, Diego Fajera on just a couple weeks' notice. Garcia... 27-year-old Mexican, former standout from Combate Americas, is 13-2 and overall. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC, but uh, he is on a two-fight win streak. He lost his first two out the gate to Nasrat Hakparas and Chris Gritzmacher. Since then, he's come back with back-to-back wins over Natan Levy and Jesse Ronson. The most recent of those, the Ronson fight, was at the same uh, UFC Luque versus Muhammad card that Close fought on. This one is fairly uh, close, no pun intended on the odds, especially considering the late notice replacement. But close is minus 225 or so, Garcia plus 175. Uh, Keith, this is another one where it's two lightweights, neither of them is that bad. Nope. It's just a really, really deep division where you got to win a lot of <laughs> fights right. in a row to make any kind of splash. Who takes a step in the right direction here?
1: Yeah, you always feel bad for the guy who takes a loss because. I mean, if you're not in the top 15 and you take a loss, I mean, you are buried. You're I mean, gen you know, pop. Like, you just yeah. fell to, like, 75th or something, you know? <laughs> um, I, I think it's a fun stylistic matchup. Um, I, I would have really been intrigued with Dracar Close versus Diego Fajero, or Carlos Diego Fajero, if that fight went mm-hmm. down. Uh, but this one, I think she is not a bad consolation prize. Um Close closest been a guy who I think he's been in closest to the top 15, like just outside, like someone who might, you know, maybe top 25, top 30 kind of guy. Uh, he's a counter striker. He, he does really good to keep his base underneath him, So he kind of like steps in the shots. He's got nice pop in both of his hands. Uh, the, it's funny because I, a lot of my notes come from the Darius fight because that's such a fun fight to watch. He almost knocked Darius out. <laughs> like That's how, that's, that's how good he can be at times. Uh, He's got a really good straight right. Uh, he tended to throw from his from his hips, uh, which leaves him open to counters, which is a little concerning. He's got really good calf kicks, though. Uh, he's also a very physically strong dude. He's, he's big for the weight class. I mean, I, I think last time we described him as a, just a, like a brute kind of guy. Uh, and he, he fights that way. He'll, he'll get into an, uh, a clinch battle, grind in there, land short elbows, Likes pressing his opponents against the cage, and then maybe dropping down to, to the hips. He did it a lot against Mark Diaz Casey. He's he's you know looking for more clinch takedowns than you know shooting entries uh, from the outside. Uh, he he was easily out grappled by Darius, which is concerning. But like Benil Dariush is a elite elite grappler. Um, but the positive the positive spin on that is. Darius had his back, had had him in bad positions, and Darius couldn't find a submission on him. It took him a really long time uh, to kind of win that kind of battle. So uh, that's really good if you're a Dracar Close fan. Now Garcia, um, Garcia actually, he, he's kind of similar to Close in that he he isn't a great athlete, but he's pretty technically sound. He marches forward uh in once again in the pocket and kind of brawl a little bit. And uh, I shouldn't should say he's not technically sound, but because I'm going to see he, his technical, but um, he's a, he's a minus athlete who just finds a way to kind of win fights that he probably shouldn't like, like Natan Levy's a much better athlete than Rafi Garcia yeah. is. And, I mean, Natan Levy probably one of the better athletes in the UFC, just in general, but yeah, um, he looks like a superhero Yeah, exactly. and, he, and he, and he
0: moves like it. Yeah. Yeah yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Um But Garcia just like, out. I guess he's more gritty. He's, he's a grit kind of guy. He, he, mm-hmm. he gets in the pocket. He wants to throw down. He throws a lot of looping, Hooks. He's got pretty good power. Um, he will wrestle a little bit. Uh, not much setups for his statement. He kind of overreaches, very Michael Chiesa style. But he's got a relentless attitude to get it there. Um, like I said, a bit, bit of an overachiever. Um, he, he just one of these guys who are just similar to who we talked about, Coach. If you can get a leg, he can lift you up in the air and slam you. Uh, he, he did get a submission in his last leg, which you, you gotta like. Uh, he's, he's got a really good chin. Like you go back to the neck. Nazareth. hakbaras landed some big, big shots on him, um, and he kept coming forward, pressing, the, pressing the action. Uh, he showed off really good cardio in that Levy fight. That's kind of probably how he beat Levy—just out, outworked him. Um, so expect a good output. Like it's, it's a little concerning that he took this fight on short notice. So that might not be a strength that it normally is. Uh, obviously, we'll see. I, I think this fight is closer than the betting line should say, uh, but I'm gonna go. with with close close he's a little faster than garcia i also think he is even though garcia likes to wrestle i think close might be the better wrestler um he's a little bigger um i don't i don't think he's really stronger uh which is surprising because close is really strong i think that might be a little bit of a a wash in that department but i say close lands the better power shots i i think he might uh be more technical in the clinch i say close wins a more competitive decision than people expect
0: I don't have much to to add to this. I agree with your assessments of both of these guys. And I think Close is a guy that just kind of flies a little under the radar in this division. Again, we talked about it off the top of this segment. You have to everybody do a does. lot.
2: Yeah, yeah like everybody flies under do. the radar. Yeah.
0: You know, unless you're Patty Pimblett and you do something to bring all kinds of attention to yourself. If he was just some other dude who just won his third fight in the UFC, nobody would give a shit who he was. Like, Dracar Close, he's got a good resume there. He's six and two in the UFC. And while most of the guys he's beaten aren't world beaters, the only guys he's lost to are Darius and David Tamer. Back when Tamer was like, head, look, appeared to be headed towards yeah, the title, good. he was probably what like the hottest up and coming guy in the division. Yeah. What uh, Charles De Bronx happened to him. Like, yeah, Bronx right. choked him out, and that was it. That's it. He never fought again. Yeah. What the that hell? That
2: was like, what, 2018,
0: 2019. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I, I, he I like, The name I forgot about. Yeah. Obviously, well, yeah. dude. And he was I, good. I, he was very good. He was also a grappler. And so I think his, when he ran into De Bronx yeah. and was like, Oh, this is what's oh. gonna what it's gonna be like, he
1: was levels. like Yeah. And yeah, his, but his brother was like the complete out. his brother was terrible. His
0: brother was terrible, but he finally yeah. got a, a win in the UFC. He was kind of like the Herbert Burns of you there know you uh, of Sweden. Anyway, I I have close in this one as well, and I think the odds would be closer. Again, I, I swear I'm not doing this on purpose. The odds would be closer if both these guys were coming off of full camps preparing for each other, but as it is, as you pointed out, one of Garcia's weapons is his kind of perseverance that springs from his cardio. We don't know if that's going to be there in force. So give me close by decision as well. Uh, but this one should be a really fun one.
1: Speaking of Herbert Barnes, I think like his next time he walks out to the cage, like Gilbert should carry him.
2: <laughs> <The> biggest, <laughs> carry like, back oh, he can't
1: carry him out of the cage, but that's what we do. He, he carries him to the cage too. <laughs> Honestly, save his energy a little bit. <laughs> And and also, I think every time Patty Pimlet
0: fights, Molly McCann should have to carry him on her shoulders now.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I love Molly.
0: That, that was amazing. Next up is a heavyweight matchup. And if you're keeping count, this is the fifth fight in a row at UFC 277 that features a late replacement opponent. It is Dante Mays versus the debuting Hamdi Abdel Wahab. Mays. The 30-year-old Kentucky native is nine and four overall. He is an even two and two in the UFC since joining as a three-time veteran of Dana White's Contender Series. Yes, that's right. He came into the UFC and basically half of his fights had been in the, on the Contender Series since being. <laughs> they should put uh, this
1: guy in the Contender Series just for the hell of it. Like, hey, I, I just won my last one. You see, yeah, I'm putting out a contender series. We're giving the we're giving the Joe Lozon, Jens Pulver treatment. Oh, you beat Jens Pulver? Yeah, go the older fighter. Yeah, to get a to get a contract in the league, you just want to fight it.
0: Oh, and and by the way, he's going to be one of the coaches of that season. So yeah. you're going to have to like look at a dude telling you what to do that you knocked out in 90 seconds.
1: Yeah, and everyone's going to pretend like we didn't realize that happened.
0: Yeah. Oh, 2005. Never changed. Or I guess that was probably, like, 2006.
1: <clears throat> yeah, maybe. It was, like, right after Justin Eilers has got a title shot after he got knocked out his fight before. Like, face-planted in the first round in, like, one minute, the night, the, like, right oh, before that. As much as we
0: complain, the sport sure is better in a lot of ways these days. Yeah. Anyway, Mays finally graduated to the UFC out of his third try on Dana White's Contender Series. Promptly lost his first two, frankly, The one to surreal gone kind of excusable. But since then, he's won back-to-back fights over Roque Martinez and Josh Parisian. The problem is that they've both been about a year apart. The last one, the Parisian fight, was back uh, last November. So it's been a little less than a year this time. I guess that's a good sign. Uh, He had been scheduled to face Justin Taffa. Taffa had to withdraw. In comes the debuting Abdel Wahab. I believe he is the first Egyptian-born fighter in the UFC, uh, Egyptian by way of New York. He is 29 years old. Here's a little bit of controversy for you. If you look at his uh, biographical information directly below our faces, you will see that we have him down as 5-0. and o. If you look at Tapology or you look at the UFC's own website, they'll have him as 3-0. and o. Most other uh, outlets are reporting him as 3-0. and o. Here's the difference. His first two fights were in Gamebred FC. That is, of course, uh, Jorge Masvidal's promotion. They were both bare knuckle. And because of that, some outlets are not counting them as MMA. I don't know why that is. They were certified and sanctioned by the Florida Athletic Commission. They are MMA. He is 5-0. Everyone else is wrong, and we're right. <laughs>
1: oh, take
0: there that. Were, there, were no, uh, there were no odds on this fight up to, like, Sunday afternoon. But some finally appeared just a few hours before we record. Not a good look for Mays that... Against a debuting guy who is either three and zero or five and zero, but regardless of how you count that, all those fights have happened within like the last eighteen months. Yeah, and a guy that we're about to get to—how hard it is to find tape on him—he is only minus one twenty-five. Abdullah is plus one hundred as the even money underdog.
1: You know the reason for that, right? The the odds makers terrible. Yeah, the odds makers have seen Dante May's fight before.
0: Yeah, it's it's because there is tape on Maze. <laughs> so, it, be- it
1: would have been better if they actually made him an underdog. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: here's, here's my take on this fight. Uh, what little tape I was able to find on Abdel Wahab, and a lot of it was GIFs. That's how bad it is. But in fairness to him, a lot of his fights have been GIF length. Like, he's got 15-second wins, 22-second wins, 33-second wins. He does have a Greco-Roman wrestling background and he will chuck people to the ground with body locks and mash them there. But mostly, he's just been rushing forward behind haymakers and slugging people, like an even less technical early Shane Carwin. The similarities continue because, like Carwin, he's not hes not as tall as I'm trying to tell you he is, but he is built like an absolute brick shithouse. Like, this guy is going to be much, much shorter than Mays because Mays is a gigantic human being. But Hamdi Abdel Wahab is, is a unit. He's like somebody took uh Ilir Latifi and just kind of blew him up by twenty five percent in every direction. <laughs> so they took like the the five foot seven, two hundred and twenty pound guy and made him like a six foot nothing, two hundred and sixty yeah. pound guy.
1: Uh, just match him against each other now. Next,
0: or just stack him like those Russian dolls that go like one to <laughs> the yeah, other. They
1: get bigger. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh Dante Maze. He has developed since I've seen him. I mean, I've seen him three times on the Contender Series, four times in the UFC. He's gone from being a miserable sloppy brawler to a miserable sloppy brawler who tries to wrestle sometimes. And it's actually an improvement. I mean, that's kind of been the difference between his first two losses in the UFC and his two recent wins. But I just don't, like, I don't think Mays is the worst heavyweight in the UFC because you know what? He beat Josh Parisian and Parisian's still in the UFC. So QED, He's, he's better than at least one guy. He's better than Roque Martinez, even if Martinez is gone. But he's the worst 500 heavyweight in the UFC. He's two and two in the UFC. He's the worst guy that doesn't have a losing record. And I think he's just tailor-made for Abdel Wahab to come in and shock the world. What Abdel Wahab's going to come forward, throw in huge looping overhands as hard as he possibly can. Dante Telmeis is here for you. He he stands tall. He keeps his chin up. He, his hands aren't close enough to his chin. He fights like just being six foot six is going to keep his head far enough out of range. Uh, (laughs) And if he decides to kind of go to his wrestling thing that he's embraced, especially against Parisian, I don't think it's going to be there against a guy that, at least by reputation, comes from a wrestling background and whose center of gravity is about 10 inches off the ground. Give me Hamdi Abdel Wahab by first round TKO. And I don't think the experiment's going to last that long. I don't think he has a whole lot of upside. But this is a lot more exciting for me than Maze versus Tafa.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One hundred. I 100% agree. I I just think of being the first fighter from Egypt. This is what I wish the UFC had a little bit more of the WF spin on things. Because if if this was a WWE fighter making his debut in WWE from Egypt, he'd come Uh, out like a mummy or as a... Or like the the, the Iron Sheik type headdress. Yeah, or or like a pharaoh hat. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, or he'd come out in like a the tomb and the smoke would come out and he'd come out ripping <laughs> off the mommy shit. Uh, yeah. This, <laughs> everything you said has actually made this one of my favorite fights on the card. I really am intrigued by Hong the, the UFC should hire me. Yeah. I've
0: missed my calling. I should be in PR. That's, that's
1: it. That's um, uh, it. The things D- that I, I think I'm a, I like him a little bit better than you do. Uh, he's 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 huge, as you mentioned. He's six foot six, but he's not just tall. He's not just he's not Stephen no. Struwwelp tall. He's he's big, burly. I mean, yeah, he's built like Derek Lewis. Um,
2: yeah,
1: and he, he and he's he actually kind of fights like Derek Lewis. He's he's fairly athletic. He's not this like lumbering guy. He's got good movement. He can fight out of both stances. Obviously, he has power, but he t- kind of telegraphs his shots. Um, that's because he drops his hands. He kind of loops things. Uh, he also throws the lead uppercut a lot, which I hate. Uh, we've talked about this best. He has a, a judo background. Uh, I've dissed his judo background like a million times. But in fairness, he started to get some clinch takedowns against Josh Parisian. So uh, I like that. I still wouldn't consider him a wrestler. I mean, his takedown defense is pretty bad. Uh, he plays BJJ off of his back, which uh, I don't like anybody playing BJJ, especially not heavyweights um but when he was on top he looked to advance position against josh preseason he even looked for a crucifix uh but his cardio is bad he has gassed out in the past and that's because he throws everything with power now hamdi Abdullah wahab it's pretty good I, uh, yeah that's it uh i'm gonna call him hamdi because that's a pretty dope name uh obviously this guy's the ultimate wild card i i saw almost no film on him uh, the one I found was that bad knuckle boxing MMA fight. And I get the I get the idea why people would think it was a bit ba- was, it wasn't wasn't a bare knuckle boxing fight. So it was like the early UFC days where they they yeah. they have um they have tape on their hands. So it's not like the early UFC when it's completely um you know, skin on. But um yeah, he smashed some really fat guy in fourteen seconds. <laughs> like that's, that's the only thing I saw of him. Uh, I saw this other one. It was like, again, like you said, like a little highlight. And he's fighting some other tomato cannon MA. And he smokes him in 30 seconds, lands a big shot. The guy falls down. He goes right to mount and starts grinding pounding him. Uh, he's a short, compact dude. I mean, he, you mentioned that he's built like Latifi. He's built like he's a brick shithouse. He hits really hard, apparently, because <laughs> he's dropping guys in seconds. But you kind of. Undersold his wrestling background. You said, "Oh, he's he has a background in Greco-Roman wrestling. Dude wrestled in the Olympics. <laughs> like He's an Olympic wrestler." Uh, I, I I follow wrestling um, yeah. in in the international scene. You have the two styles: you have freestyle and Greco. I don't follow Greco as much because um i never wrestled greco i didn't really like i didn't really like i think it's kind of boring uh of the two and i definitely don't follow the international scene as much as i do like an, i like folk style wrestling the best that's your high school that's your college um and and then on the international scene i follow more the americans than i do this i can't follow these other countries but and it's also it's very hard to find but uh yeah so i being that he wrestled in the olympics i'm gonna assume and, and he's from the middle east which is a really good era to wrestle. Like this not, um, you know, it, it, we look down on, uh, Middle East and other sports, not in wrestling.
2: Um, he's, so I'm assuming
1: he has elite level wrestling. I'm assuming a lot of those things are going to come. If you know, Greco roaming, they got to come from like clinches, uh, body, body locks, chest to chest type takedowns. Um, uh, what I did see him on hard ground pound. I saw one fight where he said he got quickly to the mount. I am really worried about his cardio. He's taking this fight in short notice. Also, he just like every time I've seen him, he just explodes and throws big bombs. So I would worry about him uh, slowing down. Uh, it, I don't think anybody can have confidence in this pick. Uh, this I know about Mays. I'd say he's a quality UFC heavyweight. I don't know if that's the case with Hamdi. But I'm going to go with, you know me, man. I always go with high-level wrestlers. I'm going to go with the upside, too. I say he throws a haymaker uh, until he gets into clinch. I say he slams Maze down, starts unloading heavy ground-and-pound big hammers. Uh, And I'm going to say Hamdi gets a first-round TKO.
0: The UFC 277 prelims soldier on with a lightweight matchup between Drew Dober and Rafael Alves. Dober, the 33 year old Nebraska native, is 24 and 11 with one no contest overall. He is 10 and 7 with one no contest in the UFC. He did win his last time out. It was a first round knockout of Terrence McKinney at UFC fight night Santos versus Ankalaev back in March. That put the brakes on a two fight skid for Dober against Islam Makachev and Brad Riddell. So, not too much shame in those, probably. Uh, he's going to try to keep things going against Alves. The 31-year-old Brazilian is 20 and 10 overall. He's one and one since joining the UFC out of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He also won his last outing. It was a first-round uh, submission of Mark DeQuayzy at UFC Fight Night Holloway versus Rodriguez last November. That allowed him to bounce back from his debut loss to Demir Ismagulov uh, last May. Odds on this one, favor Dober pretty strongly. He's minus 220, Alva's plus 185 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, Drew Dober feels as though we kind of know what he is now. Yeah. Rafael Alva's, we're not sure. I mean, we're not even sure whether he's going to show up as a lightweight or a welterweight from one. fight to the next thing i forgot to mention while introducing him he is the fighter who had at least at the time the worst weight miss in ufc history he showed up 11 pounds heavy for a fight i think it was the first time they tried to have him fight jacquesi in fact but it was sometime within the last 12 to 18 months showed up just with an absolutely disastrous weight miss you know really embarrassed himself the fight was yeah. called off
1: did didn't william knight beat that though yeah, I think that's why I say at
0: the time because oh, night. Okay, sorry, sorry. But like once once you're going into the heavyweight realm, it almost doesn't count. Yeah. So, but yeah, that, yeah, because he came in at two seventeen or two eighteen for a heavyweight fight, so technically yeah. that was like twelve or thirteen pounds. But hey, I New mean... England's
1: got the record books. but keeping it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh,
0: in this okay, one, yeah. I mean, these guys have both lost some fights recently, but they've all been against top ten, if not top five, yeah, guys. That's good. Uh, who wins this one? How do you see this yeah. one playing out?
1: Yeah, this one is, is one of the best fights on the card. And this is really, really fun action fight. Um, Drew Dober can't be in a boring fight. He's he's super exciting. Alice is is really kind of making a name of himself look really good in his last fight. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he makes weight and this isn't, like, uh, thrown out. But Drew Dober is such a badass. Like, like Alice could probably weigh in at, like, 210 and Dober would probably still want to fight. Um, Dober is a southpaw who he, he presses forward throwing power shots he's a he's a pressure counter striker really good slip and rip style good head movement he uses feints really well to draw out attacks and then he slips attacks lands power combinations as as returns i've said this before it's everything he lands so well because of his foot placement uh he keeps his base underneath him he's constantly setting up his straight right um excuse me his uh, sorry he's a softball his straight left uh, by stepping outside the, the center line, lining up his hands to, to land right down the middle. He he can tend to chase a knockout sometimes, uh, throwing so hard instead of just flowing, like almost knocking himself o- over, though it's very rare that he doesn't find the knockout. like he, he's, he's becoming a knockout machine. Uh, but he's a – I mean, and and a lot of that has to do because he can take a shot. Like, look at his last one against Terrence McKinney. McKinney landed some power shots on yeah. – on Dober and oh and, and Dober, he and
0: Riddell also in the fight before that. Oh Brad like, Riddell, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this two fights in a row where he's he's ate some really good shots and and had his legs buckled, but um, you know, put himself in a in, in a firefight. The one thing that and I've said this before that'll keep Dober from being a top fighter is that is that weak takedown offense. He's been taken on 13 times in four fights. And unless he fixes that, um, he's always gonna be this exciting, fun guy to watch, mid card guy. And uh, if Al- he doesn't fix that, they
0: weren't even going to let him go back to Nebraska anymore. So tell him <laughs> to move somewhere else. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah. Like, come on, dude. You're from Nebraska. Like, you should be wrestling. Um, Alves, Alves is very athletic. He has that capoeira style. He can fight out of both stances. Can be very, very aggressive at times. But then there's times he just takes huge moments off. Very Yoel Romero style. That's probably that's probably why he misses weight because he kind of watches Yoel Romero a little too much, <laughs> like uh, brushed off on him a little bit. Um, he he did it against Ismagulov. Like he had low output, and just got outworked. Uh, but when things are going good, he's got quick hands. Uh, he's got good power. I mean, he rocked Mark Diakace with a jab. Uh, he's he's good at getting in, landing power shots, and then getting out using that speed. He'll Throw a lot of spinning attacks. He's got good kicks, though he's been buckled many times himself. He's been rocked many times on the feet, so that's troublesome. Especially with a power hitter like Drew Dober, uh, he's not one-dimensional though. Like he, he he likes to get in the clinch, judo throws. He has a Brazilian jiu black belt. He's a serious submission threat. A lot of uh, neck attacks through scrambles, guillotines, um, dars chokes. He had a Peruvian necktie before. He has a great. Guillotine, uh, he caught Mark Casey in that. Uh, the one negative about such a submission attack is he'll chase submissions and lose position, but on his back, he sweeps really good. Uh, so I think this is an amazing fight. I like both guys, I think both guys are really good. Uh, I like, uh, I think the odds should be a little bit closer. Alves is the more well rounded fighter, uh, he could take Dober down, have a huge advantage, out wrestle him, maybe catch a submission in a scramble. However, if he gets really aggressive, and we've seen him on times, on the feet, Dober is not the guy to make a mistake against. And I actually say that happens. Uh, I've been a Dober backer. Again, I'm really nervous because of that wrestling, uh, or lack of wrestling, I should say. But on the feet, Dober has really turned into a sniper. I think Dober lands a huge shot in the first round. I think Dober knocks him out in the very first round.
0: I I like the breakdown there. It's interesting how both these guys are kind of deceptive i mean i i won't go into my whole comedic rants again about how drew dober like looks wrestly, so you assume he's a good wrestler and then it just turns out he's not but uh you're you're right in that on kind of in, in his last fights before moving up to the ufc and early on in his ufc run like he was always a very willing striker but he was more of a submission specialist lately he's found his power And has become much more accurate. I can only attribute that to maybe the team change. He's been at uh, Elevation Fight Team for a couple years now. But whatever he's doing, it's it's working. Because he's better than his UFC record looks. He's only losing to really good guys now. But he's always going to have that Achilles heel. Or at least, he's never going to break through into the top 15 or top 10 as long as he has that Achilles heel. And Alva's also a little bit of a deceptive guy. You look at his record, and his record looks lousy. But he's one of those guys... That just lost a ton of fights early in his career in Brazil because he was undertrained, he was too young, he was thrown to the wolves, like he was just thrown to better prospects. It's the same thing as Vicente Luque. Yeah, uh, he has turned a corner uh, since, uh, you know, like in the last couple of years as well. And obviously, he's got his issues with the scale. And even when he's not missing weight by a full, almost full weight class, he fights in a way of a guy that looks to me like he probably has a substantial weight cut and he's trying to guard his gas tank. I think that's where the Romero type output and wait and see type stuff go comes from. But I'm nervous taking Dober in this just because I could see Alves take him down and take advantage of him on the ground so quickly. Like I'm with you. I'm going with uh, Dober by KO in this one, but my second most likely outcome is Alves by first round submission uh but yeah give me drew dober by first round tko but again if if it's flipped exactly the other way around Alex takes him down takes his neck and this is over in like two and a half minutes i'm not shocked the only thing that would shock me is if some kind of performance or fight of the night bonus isn't at least in the discussion for this fight because this one should be a, hell of a lot of fun yeah should be going Speaking of fights that should be a hell of a lot of fun, the top prelim at UFC 277 is a welterweight matchup between Alex Morono and Matthew Semmelsberger. Morono, the 31-year-old Houston native, is 21-7 and with one no contest overall. He's 10-4 and with one no contest in the UFC. He is on a three-fight win streak. Those coming against Donald Cerrone, David Zavada and Mickey Gall. The most recent of those, the Gall win was last December at UFC on ESPN font versus Aldo. He'll try to make it four straight against Semmelsberger. The 29 year old Marylander is 10 and three overall. He is four and one since joining the UFC. Uh, <clears throat> he won two fights in a row to start off with dropped one to chaos. Williams has come back with two more wins in a row over Martin Sano and AJ Fletcher. The most recent of those. The Fletcher fight was back in March at UFC fight night Santos versus Ankalaev. Semmelsberger is a slight favorite here. He's minus 170. You can get Morono at plus 145 on the comeback. Uh, these two guys are pretty opposite in a lot of ways. Alex Morono is an overachiever. <laughs> he does not present as a high level uh, athlete because he is not a high level athlete. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, it's frankly, and it's frankly, kind of an inspiring story. He's a dude that, like, at age eighteen or nineteen, was just like, "I'm tired of sitting on my couch and playing video games and being a a fat piece of shit. I'm gonna go get in shape." And five years later, he's in the UFC. Right now, he is—he has ten wins in the UFC. He's on a three-fight win streak. I, I mean, he's running his own pretty damn successful gym, and you know, if not a ranked welterweight he is absolutely one of the most just reliable action fighters. The kind of guy that you put on the top prelim of your pay-per-view card in his home state Semelsberger and he beat
1: Donald Cerrone.
0: He knocked Donald Cerrone, yeah, out. No, yeah. Yeah.
1: Knocked Donald Cerrone out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. out. Yeah. It's inter. It's interesting that they're only like a year and a half, or like I think less than two years apart in age, because Morono feels like he's becoming a grizzled veteran, and Semmelsberger feels like a raw prospect. Uh, and it's mostly because Semmelsberger is so relatively new in terms of fight age, but he's an explosive athlete. Uh, he he looks and moves like a small, a former small college like safety or cornerback, because that's exactly what he is. I, I believe he was really? like a, a D three defensive football? back. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That's I never heard them say that. Oh, did, did they say that sometimes? Did they say, next yeah. thing?
0: You, next thing you'll be telling me is is that Brian Stan used to be in the Marines, uh, <laughs> and that Ian Heinisch was in jail once. You know, yeah. they talk about yeah. him like he's Kaiser Soze, like he's like yeah. the the head of like.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't be so proud of
0: it. <laughs> anyway uh semelsberger is an explosive athlete and everything runs off of that uh which makes his fights a a whole lot of fun and for a guy with who throws everything as hard as he does uh who goes for takedowns as hard as he does you know his gas tank is surprisingly not terrible you just expect a guy that looks like he does and approaches a fight like he does to have the orion cosey thing where he's got seven minutes of cardio but he's been in three round fights and when he's won, it's been fine. And when he lost to Chaos Williams, it's not because he was the more tired guy. He just, Chaos Williams is a better fighter. Uh, Semmelsberger is absolutely the kind of guy that can leverage those advantages in speed, power, and size to catch Morono. Like, Morono got sniped by Chaos Williams in like 36 seconds because while he was still kind of finding the range, he got, you know, in a collision. Williams was too fast hit too hard. And even Morono, who has a hell of a chin, just couldn't recover. Like, Williams hurt him bad, followed up with accurate follow-up strikes and the thing was over. Samuelsberger could do that to Morono. Like, no question. Because Morono has the most underused BJJ black belt possibly in, in the UFC. And it's not like it's not the Charles Rosa thing.
1: <laughs> like, like like George cagell <laughs> Yeah. He used to be like the no, like, probably, Rich Franklin and then yeah. he always wanted to box everybody. You know, and it was like yeah. world class. Not just you just like you're world class. Go for a take that. Like I assume
0: that when he gave when uh, when George Grigel gave Dustin Hazlet his black belt, he just literally gave him his own black belt and said, I'm, I, I'm not going to use it anymore. Right. Like you, you go do it. <laughs> and, like Hazlet goes off and just rips off some of the coolest submissions we've ever seen. And Grigel yeah. goes back oh, to yeah. slugging it out. Uh, I, that, that's Marono. Like he's said in my presence, you know, I've interviewed him a few times in an official capacity, as well as just kind of, you know, talking with them. He's like, if one of my fights goes to the ground, it's not because I wanted it there. Uh, which is funny for a guy that runs a Gracie Baja school, but you know yeah. there you have it. He, he, he knows himself. Uh this for a guy that the UFC probably sees as having potential contender upside in Semmelsberger. This is a super trap fight. Because if Semmelsberger decides to like shoot takedowns and take Morono down, he's playing into his wheelhouse. Morono finally did grapple against Gall and, and Pettis within his last few fights. And he looks great in both. Like Pettis escaped just because. Before his ribs gave out on him, he was Anthony Pettis and he was just impossible to hold. Yeah, good. yeah and uh Gall Morono like outgrappled him pretty bad. Uh it would be interesting to see Semmelsberger in that kind of test. If Semmelsberger just wants to hang out on the feet, unless he like just blitzes and catches Morono, like uh Williams did, which doesn't happen very often. Morono's like a pretty composed striker for someone who's as aggressive as he is. Like he throws everything hard, but he doesn't overthrow and he's defensively like fairly sound. He's not a wild man. To to compare it to someone he's actually fought, he's not Nico Price. You know, he's not just like rolling in there like a beyblade just like spinning and like flinging stuff all over the place. Uh I could see like if you tell me the fight ends in a finish, like if you just look in the crystal ball say this fight ends in a finish, it's probably Semmelsberger. Uh but give me Morono just to be a little too smart, too experienced, too tough. Turn away a fighter in Semelsberger that maybe, like, I don't know who wins on Saturday. But if these guys fight again in two years, Semelsberger is probably like a minus 300 favorite because he's trending in one direction while Morono kind of is what he is at this point. But this is a good time uh, for the homie from the Woodlands to catch, uh, to catch the hot up-and-coming prospect. Give me Alex Morono by decision.
1: Yeah, you're like, he's too smart. He's too... Too quick, too this, too that. It's also a list too close to Ben. <laughs> there are fighters who live close to me that I'm perfectly willing to tell you
0: when they're going to lose. And if if I thought Moreno was going to get starched, I'd give you a wink. But I do legit think oh, okay. uh, he's he's going to win this fight.
1: <laughs> I know. I just, I'm just teasing. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a fun fight. That's going to be an action fight. But because um, Moreno, he's he's an aggressive guy. Um, I think he's more of a brawler than you give him credit to. Uh, he he loads up on shots, but he's for a guy who you look at him, you wouldn't think he has power. I he he can crack like he's he's not one of these guys like one punch pretty lights up. But he's rocked a lot of. I mean, obviously he he put Cerrone on, but he rocks a lot of guys. Uh, kicks are a big part of his game. Uh, throws them a lot. He likes spinning attacks. Like he's exciting. You mentioned it, he's not much of a a wrestler both offensively and defensively. I mean, he hardly ever looks wrestled, wrestle, but he is a BJJ black belt. We've seen him when it gets there, be pretty good, Uh, but more of a top side grappler. If he's pinned against the canvas, he really struggles to go up. Like I got to go all the way back to Jordan Ming, but like Jordan Ming was able to take him down and just turn into a wrestling match. And, and Marino uh, Marano couldn't, couldn't win. Now, Selvinsberger, you mentioned it. They are complete opposite. He's a very good athlete, quick twitch explosive. He's a boxer that has quick hands, uh, high guard defense. He has good outputs in some fights, but against the the Chaos wins fight, he's a little trigger shy in that fight. Um, but Chaos hits really hard, so that might be it. And he could be a little trigger shy if Moreno's landing some of those big shots, the crowd's rocking on, on Moreno. Every time Moreno hits him with something, the crowd's exploding. I guess he will be a little gun shy in this fight, um, You know, going into enemy territory too. But uh, for a younger guy, he does some things uh, pretty – intelligent that I like. He has very slipping rip style. Uh, his right hand is his best blow. I love that he attacks the body. Like that's the one thing he works the body. Then he starts going to the top and he's got some really good power. We sort against Jason Witt. We sort against uh, Martin Sano. Again, both those guys probably not UFC talent. So he looks, if you're not UFC talent, Somersberg are going to put you out and, and highlight real fashion. He's because he's new, he has some defensive flaws. He backs straight up, uh, chin and high in the air. He's 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 an underrated offensive wrestler. He will go for a t- takedown, but he needs to improve his takedown defense. We in his last fight.
2: Um,
1: and he hasn't he obviously hasn't grappled nearly as much as a guy like Murano. Um, go back to like the Colton minus, he struggled to get back up. Uh, and he also we've seen him slow down a little bit. That's what happened during exposure. He slowed down against minus, he slowed down against uh, worthy. So, uh, yeah, I. I and there's a reason why this is a prelim uh, headline. I do think it's going to be a fun fight. Um, I expect some really, really good exchanges on the feet. Uh, but I'm I'm going the complete opposite this you, man. Summer is just way too good of an athlete, in my opinion. From Moreno at this point, it was great. Again, you mentioned they're closer in age, uh, but they're not in the same category when it comes to like fight age. One is no. is a, yeah, one is a. Yeah, one's got a lot of tread on his tires, and one is got a lot of damage. Uh, I say Summersberger catches Marino. I think he catches him early. I think we're going to have another highlight reel knockout for Summersberger. Give me Summersberger first-round knockout. I, I think that's the first one we disagreed on.
0: No, uh, Mariano and – Oh, Negomariano, yeah, yeah, early, yeah, okay. Bo- both times, I took the underdog. Just
1: yeah, yeah, you got some big balls over there. I so think you're and- taking Moreno no matter what.
0: <laughs> The five-fight main card of UFC 277 kicks off with a high-stakes light heavyweight matchup between Magomed Ankolaev and Anthony Smith. Ankolaev, the 30-year-old Dagestani, is 16-1 as a mixed martial artist. He is 8-1 in the UFC. That won, of course, the famous buzzer-beating submission loss to uh, Paul Craig in his UFC debut. Since then, he has been perfect. Eight straight wins, including uh, kind of leveling up into the top 10 or top 15 with uh, three straight over Nikita Krylov, Volkan Uzdemir, and Tiago Santos. Most recent of those, the Santos win was the headliner of UFC Fight Night 203 back in March. He's going to try to make it nine straight and mint himself as the possible next light heavyweight uh, title challenger against uh, former title challenger Smith. The 33 year old Nebraskan is 36 and 16 overall. He's 11 and 5 in the UFC, 7 and 3 at light heavyweight. He did start out at 185 in the UFC, moved up to 205. He's 7 and 3 since then. He is on a three fight win streak. Those coming over Devin Clark, Jimmy Crute, and Ryan Spann. All three of them first round stoppages. Uh, the most recent of those, the Spann win, was last September. It was a rear naked choke late in the first round. But has sort of stopped the narrative that he was done as a top level contender in the UFC. Uh you know, he uh lost his title shot against John Jones, took the beatdown of 2020 from Glover Teixeira, looked kind of flat in the loss to Alexander Rakic. The popular narrative seemed to be that okay, you know, he's he's done as a top level contender. Since then he's come roaring back uh, and he's going to try to pronounce himself still very much in the title picture by stopping Ankalaev's win streak he is not favored to do so aside from the uh last minute adam fujit against michael morales smith is the biggest underdog on the card uh Ankulaev is minus 450 smith plus 325 uh as the again substantial underdog keith i'm going to toss this to you for your your pick first, but I think Magomed ankhalayev has started to get a little slow rolled t- towards the title picture just as a natural development of what's happened as he's coming uh, into the cage against higher level fighters. Because when he first got to the UFC, leaving aside the Paul Craig fight where he was just whooping the shit out of Craig and then got tapped out with literally one second left. But when he was taking on the Dolce Lungiambulas of the world, the Klitson was even the Ivan Kudalabas, like good fighters who are flawed he was he was finishing people and just destroying them he he seemed both exciting and supremely talented now that he's run into top level fighters he's become a bit of a grinder and yeah. you know if, if he guy. if he kept head kicking people like he did Dolcha it would not have taken him this is now 9 fights that it might take for him to get a title shot I mean, I, I I'm still waiting. Like Anthony Smith, it's hard for Anthony Smith to have a boring fight. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking. But if anyone can pull a boring fight out of him, it's probably Ankalaev. Uh tell me kind of how you see this fight going. Does it look more like an Ankalaya fight or like a
1: Smith fight yeah, and who wins? I hope it's, it looks a lot more like a Smith fight. And I, I think it's going to. Uh credit credit to us. We both have been on the Ankalaev. Like hype train. We were doing the how far did this guy go? Would he beat this guy? Would it be fair to that guy? Like we I think we were the first ones that were really pumping this guy as a serious, serious contender. And I still think I think the guy's gonna be the champion one day. I, I, I really believe that now. Um he's been playing it safe. I don't know if it's boring, but it's very safe. He's just so much more technically sound than everybody he faces. Uh but that's gonna be tough against Anthony. Not not more of that. He's not that more technically sound, but Smith is going to stay in his face. Uh, I'm a fan of Anthony Smith. Uh, let me ask you this before we before we really break down the fighters. You talked about like we've we kind of did the obituary on Anthony Smith a couple of fights ago, and then he kind of came roaring back. If he loses this fight, could this be the last we see of him? Like, could we? Because I really see. I think he's really good in uh, in the you know the studio doing that stuff. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing them doing like a uh, contender series or starting to go with some play-by-play stuff or, or commentary stuff. I just think he's really good. Like I, he's, and I think that's something that they might be interested
2: in.
1: Uh, but do you agree with me? Like this, this could be the last we see of him.
2: It would depend right, on right, how this. Yeah, it, right, yeah, it right, would depend.
0: Right. It, it would depend on how it goes. If he takes Glover a type punishment in in this one, I absolutely could. And obviously, we'll get to both of our predictions. Uh, in a few minutes here but i'll tell you right now that i see that as a distinct possibility yeah uh like a a protracted ground beating is is one of them but uh if we see that sure why not he is he is an old 33 yeah like it's hard to believe that he was fighting at welterweight seven or eight years ago like in the middle of nebraska like fighting like josh near at 176 pound catch weight or something just weird stuff like that and then next thing i know he's fighting john jones for yeah. the ufc title and if he was not such a good sport he'd be wearing
1: the ufc That's title right. briefly but yes
0: yeah yeah br- for about for about four months until they rematched.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah um Yeah. I mean, he had a million fights in the regional scene and who knows how many, like, wasn't even recorded. And obviously the hours in the gym and in the sparring sessions and all that, like he's, he's, he's put in his time. Uh, He's clearly an overachiever to be in the position to fight for a title to, and is, is we're talking about like him losing and what would be next one? If he wins, he he could be fighting for, he could be a multi-time title challenger. And well, I would favor. Prasker over Anthony Smith. It's not out of the realm of possibility Anthony Smith beating him. Like like Anthony Smith is not that far away from being UFC champion. Anthony Smith. So the the fork in the road is right there for him. Like he could go either extreme right now. Um, He is an overachiever because he's always been a minus athlete, but he's technical and he's smart. He's got great volume. He's a good boxer. Throws a lot of combinations. Tons of variety in his tacks. Uh, I. I like that he adds kicks into his combinations. I go through like a three-punch combination, finish with like a kick. Um, He lacks power though. He's not a big cracker. Um, He loves he loves teep kicks, which which is a big part of his of his his game. But he has taken God knows amount of damage. Uh, You know, you're talking about um, rackish fight. You said he looked, uh, I whether he looked like lackluster or something.
0: Looked
2: flat.
1: Yeah, flat. Yeah. He got his legs destroyed. Uh, You talk about the Tashera fight. I mean, Tashera was an epic beatdown. But the one thing you'll say about Anthony Smith is he's still gonna be coming. He get a beatdown from Tashera. The reason why it was a beatdown because Anthony Smith kept coming. Like he didn't Mm -hmm. give up. He'll never. He'll never uh, find an easy way out. Ankle life is huge. He looks like a heavyweight. Um, He like if he looks like uh, like a bellator like they just mm-hmm. switch roles and it was fighting a bellator uh heavyweight title like that wouldn't you know okay uh he's he's well-rounded and, and I'm, I'm talking about his built i'm not talking about their face i mean they, they're yeah. built i'm saying um he's he's i don't want him to come at me like oh all russians look alike no that's not what i was saying um he, their, their haircut and beard are all the same but yeah, yeah okay <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah fair enough. uh He's well rounded. He's he's more technical than explosive, especially lately. Um, he's a southpaw where everything comes off of his jab. Well, actually, I didn't say so because he can he switches stance a lot, but uh, everything comes off his jab. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks. Teep kicks are a big thing of his. He has a crushing high kick, as you mentioned. I mean, he killed Ian Cuadrabo just like throwing the same high kick. Uh, very uh, Fugit style, where he just kept throwing the high kick over <laughs> and over again. Some of the best calf kicks in the game. Defensively, he keeps his chin a little high, which he's going to get blasted one day. But he's also a guy that he'll close the distance. He'll grind in the clinch. He's very physically strong in there, just physically strong. Just like he can just pin his opponent against the cage and the round's over. They're not getting off the cage. Um Just technically sound there. He uses his head. I, 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 how old fight was it? Where I kept talking about his head position in, in a fight where he just was like, frustrating his opponent, just pinning him against the cage, used his head, get little knees inside, just wearing him down. And then eventually he just dropped down on the hips and, and, and take him down. Very good. Top game, smothering top game. uh Very hard to take down himself. And some really, when we saw, and again, this is his early fights in the UFC, really good ground up. I mean, like, yeah, Paul Craig got the submission, but Paul Craig also was getting his head bounced off the canvas over and over again, like a, like a basketball. Uh, it, so as far as the prediction goes, Anthony Smith needs to make this fight a brawl. He needs to make this. He needs to say, and really what he's going to do. Like I'm outmatched. He has more tools than me. He's faster me. He's a better athlete than me. So I'm just going to bite down on the, on the mouth gear. Very similar to maybe how what we saw of uh, in Julian Pena and Amanda Nunes, the first one, where Julian Pena is not the athlete. So let's just make it a brawl. He needs to press Ankaliyev. He needs to make Ankaliyev not get comfortable, not get in a rhythm, try to tire him out. I just doubt this happens. I think Akali is just better than Smith everywhere. I think he smashes him in every position. I think he puts him in bad positions. I think he smashes him in the clinch. I think he smashes him with calf kicks, jab, takedowns, pin him against the cage, land elbows. I I think we could see another epic Smith getting blown out. Uh, He's so insanely tough, so I say he makes a decision. Uh, And honestly, I think this is going to be one of these fights where you're, you're happy this is a pay-per-view main card fight and not a fight night main event. So we don't have 10 more minutes of Smith getting his ass handed to him. Uh, Give me an absolute blowout.
0: Yeah. I, I see a lot of the same dynamic that you see here. Uh, Definitely props to Anthony Smith for having just one of the more diverse and enjoyable offensive arsenals in the sport. Uh, You you mentioned, uh, you know, Good, diverse striker, throws in combination, throws in kicks with his combinations, kind of like a bit like an oversized Max Holloway that way. And uh, while he doesn't have like one shot knockout power, like with a, a single punch or kick, he gets plenty of TKOs and he usually does it by mauling people in the clinch. That's, you know, it's how he put away Evans. It's how he put away uh, Shogun. Uh, he just has mean intentions in the clinch and his long lanky frame. And it's crazy that he used to be a welterweight because even at light heavyweight, he's tall. Like he's going to be at least as tall as Ankalaev even if he isn't like nearly as bulky and heavy. He just uses that to good effect to just nail people with knees and elbows uh, in the clinch. I, I think very underrated... I wouldn't say underrated grappler, but underrated submission artist. His, his uh, has a very diverse and opportunistic submission game. Unfortunately, all the things he does well, just don't translate well to beating Magomed and Ankulaev. There are still top 10 light heavyweights that Anthony Smith can beat. Obviously he's, you know, uh, he's beaten three straight guys who were at least kind of on the doorstep of the rankings in Clark, Crute, and span and while the crew one, there was an injury involved there. He just flat out worked uh, Clark and Span, But Ankalyev isn't it. He has become more conservative. He has become more airtight. But if there was a fight where he could open things up a little more, this is it. He got more buttoned up, buttoned down because he took on, in a row, Iwan Kutalaba, Nikita Krylov, uh, Volkan Uzdemir, and Tiago Santos. Santos isn't much of a wild man, but the other three are complete wild men and they all have one shot, knockout power. And he approached it like, okay, there are a lot of ways I can beat this guy. There's basically one way they can beat me. So yeah. I'm not going to get punched in the head with a haymaker.
1: And, and, and Santos has one punch, knockout power. I understand what you're saying, but like he could no,
0: Yeah, no, I'm saying though no, all four of those guys have one shot, yeah. knockout power. And except for Santos, the other three of them are, are wild men that are yeah. going to throw unpredictable stuff at you in bursts. Uh, Santos since his knee injury a lot more methodical. But all of them had one shot power. Smith doesn't. If if Ankalaev decides to open up a little bit and Smith catches him clean with something, it's gonna hurt, but it's not gonna like flatline him. Smith could tap him out, but Ankalaev isn't the same guy that blundered into a last second triangle against Paul Craig uh four or five years ago. I see Ankalayev. I mean, he probably will get the better of things on the feet, but I, I see him taking this thing to the ground early and often, moving to dominant positions. He's crushingly heavy on top. And like I said, Smith is a wonderful submission artist, but pure BJJ throwing up subs from your back is not really his thing. I, I think he's. I think this is going to be a little bit of a Teixeira-esque beating where Smith gets taken down, and as he gets more tired, it gets easier to take him down, and Uncle I was punishing him from top position. I'm with you in that I think this is going to make it to the final horn. You know, he made it past the first three rounds against uh, against Teixeira. There is no fourth or fifth round here, but Ankalaev wins this rolling downhill and going away, and maybe we get a 10-8 third round or something. A definitive statement for Magomed Ankalayev, who may well be your next light heavyweight title challenger. Speaking of wild men, the UFC men's flyweight top 10 is essentially nothing but wild men, and we get two of them up next. It is Alessandra Pantoja versus Alex Perez. Pantoja, the 32-year-old Brazilian, is 24-5 and 5 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is 8-3 and 3 in the UFC. He's on a two-fight win streak, uh, those being a unanimous decision over Manel Kopp last February. And a second round submission of Brandon Royval this uh, past August, so almost a year ago, at UFC on ESPN Canoneer versus Gastelum. He faces Perez, the 30 year old from uh, California Central Valley, is 24 and 6 overall. He's 6 and 2 since joining the UFC out of the very first season of Dana White's contender series. He did lose his last time out, it was all the way back at. Uh, UFC 255 the headliner of UFC 255 in fact in November of 2020 where he got uh guillotined by Davis and Figueiredo in the middle of a wild first round of action that snapped a three-fight win streak for him over Mark De La Rosa Jordan Espinosa and Juicy A Formiga so back for the first time in over a year and a half, and trying to get back in the win column is Perez. He is not favored to do so, but the odds are surprisingly close considering his long layoff and Pantoja's uh, winning ways. He is plus one twenty-five. Pantoja minus one fifty as the slight favorite. Uh, Keith, you uh, said I think it may have been between segments that you think we might disagree on this one. Yeah. Uh, I got Pantoja. I'll tell you why after you go, but tell me if we disagree.
1: Yeah, the, I understand why you're taking Pantoja, um, but I don't have a lot of confidence. Like It seem like you have like, a little bit of confidence. This, this is the banger fight. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, we haven't seen Perez in a really long time, and, and I'm worried because he's, he's had a long layoff. And then he did weigh in at 171, UC 171. He missed weight. So I'm not sure he can even make the weight class. Uh, He's now 30, which is obviously a little older, um, probably filled into his body. So that that is concerning. But if he makes the weight class and he looks good, um, based on what we last seen of him, he's he's a good fighter. I mean, he's a high-output striker. He's a pressure fighter. Uh, He's a boxer with a high guard. He keeps everything inside, tight shots, accurate, His right hand is his best punch. I like that he goes downstairs to the body uh, before going upstairs. Some really good calf kicks. He's a good wrestler, good entries, um, good top control, solid ground and pound. Uh, The one thing you have to obviously worry about is what we saw in his last fight, is if he gets too aggressive, he gets a, a brain fart. He can get submitted just as quickly as he did against Figueredo. And honestly, even the Figueredo seemed like he had a little bit of a quick tap. Uh, it might have been a little bit of the the moment getting to him now. Pantoja, another guy like I hate I, I love this fight, but I hate that fight against each other because I, I really like both guys. Uh Pantoja's well rounded, boxer was quick hands. I like that he throws down in the pocket, bit of a brawler. Uh, he he, it's funny that he brawls because he he lacks head movement. He's one of these guys he trusts his own chin to land. A power shots he's willing to you know uh take the chance and it's usually worked out for me i mean he he hurt Matt Snell. he hurt wilson heiss uh in he, a lot of it's because he's so heavy in his front foot he generates so much power but on the flip side he's open to leg kicks. something that uh perez could have some serious success with the lay kicks um and he could be a little wild to take it down i don't know if you want to wrestle a guy like Pantoja because he's so good on the ground. And he's a very underrated wrestler himself. Like don't be surprised how if he gets Perez down easily, even though Perez is the more decorated wrestler. Uh, he go he looks for like body lock takedowns. That's like his style. He's not really a shooter, he most gets in the clinch. Um, either just like a slide by or just uh take him down. He's got nine submission wins. Uh he can get submissions pretty much every position on his back, in scrambles, on top catch every submission is really open to him. Um Large arsenal. We've seen him get pretty much every submission there is uh in his career. Uh If you take him down, he, he either sweeps or works back to his feet. Uh, when he does play BJJ, uh, he's one of these, such a high level one that I give him a little more leash than I do other guys. I'm on the fence in, in I see a lot of people taking Pantoja. I get it. He's been obviously more active, Um but I, I've always liked uh, Perez. I thought he was doing really well against Figueroa. Um, yeah. You know, it was a short fight, but he was doing well until he got caught. Again, hard to have confidence being such a long layoff in miss, in Wistin weight uh, And Pantoja is really good, but you're going with Pantoja, and I had a feeling you're going that way. I'm saying screw it. I took I took Perez to beat Figueroa. Uh, bad call, but. Uh, it's one of those ones when I was watching it, I, I was feeling good until the submission came. I'm not going to back off from now. Two years again, not a lot of confidence, but say I'm saying, "Fuck it, I'm going with with uh, Perez." I think we're going to have a back and forth war, but I say he lands the hardest shots on the feet. I say he, he gets some takedowns, wins some wrestling exchanges. Uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be our fight of the night. But uh, I think Perez throws his name right back in the uh, title hunt with a win.
0: I. I mean, I have no rooting interest in this fight, but I would love to see Perez come back and either in victory or in defeat establish that he is still a top-five guy. The division is a better and more interesting place with him. And you know what? The odds are fairly close here. If these guys fought a year ago, like last summer, even with Perez coming off, off the loss to Figueiredo and Pantoja coming off the win over cop, I think this thing is even money, or Perez it? is even the slight favorite. Uh, Maybe. Here, I, I think the line makes sense, but obviously there are question marks when you're talking about a, a fighter that's been off for 20 months like something yeah. like that 19 20 months and none of the questions favor perez as you pointed out he's a guy that has already had trouble making weight like he is he is visibly the biggest guy in the division i know there are mm-hmm. multiple guys that have trouble making weight Figueroa, cop schnell <laughs> like perez like Perez has trouble making weight, but he looks bigger than those guys. He he looks like a yeah, big really bantamweight, good. just just you know he's like probably five six or so, but just his shoulders and just he's got muscle on his frame. He probably uh, could
1: compete and do well at bantamweight
0: too. I think he'd do fine at bantamweight. Yeah, and one of the reasons is, despite the fact that he has a huge weight cut, he enjoys pushing a furious pace, and because of that, the longer this fight goes, I, I also think that doesn't favor him. I liked all the things you pointed out about Pantoja. Uh, you know, obviously a good boxer who sells out a little bit to maximize his power. Outstanding, really fun to watch grappler. And an underrated takedown artist. And I just like his creativity there where, yeah, I mean, he he has the traditional entries. He has traditional trips and throws. But uh, who's he beat in his last fight? Royval. When he beat Brandon Royval, he caught a kick. And your typical like American wrestler turn to MMA fighter. When they catch a kick, they're gonna try to sweep the other leg, or they're just gonna try to tree top him and knock him over. I feel like every week for the past six weeks, we've had someone try and fail to tree top his opponents. Pantoja caught that kick, like world around, took his back standing, and 15 seconds later, like Roy Wall was tapping. It was beautiful. He's slick, dude. He's slick. He's super slick. Yeah. Uh, I think this should be a hell of a fight. The only true upset would be, again, if this thing is not in the running for fight of the night. It's real competition is that we have another flyweight fight like further up the card. But Perez, he may be back. And if he can make weight on a consistent basis without killing himself, he is instantly a top 10, if not a top five guy on talents and achievements. But this is going to be a rude welcome home for him. Give me Pantoja by uh, third round submission, I'm going to say. Perez maybe even wins the first round, hurts Pantoja. His gas tank starts to betray him. Uh, Pantoja takes down and taps a tired Perez in round three. Third from the top of the UFC 277 main card is as blatant a bit of fan service as the UFC could possibly offer up to a Texas crowd, as it is a heavyweight crowd pleaser between Derek Lewis and Sergey Pavlovich. Lewis, the 37-year-old Houstonian, Is 26 and 9 with one no contest overall. He is 17 and 7 in the UFC. Uh, However, he is uh, 2 and 2 in his last four fights, having alternated wins and losses. Uh, Impressive wins over Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins, interspersed with, uh, well, frankly, kind of uh, disturbing TKO losses to Surreal Gone and Tai Tuivasa. The most recent of those the Tuivasa loss was at ufc 277 in february in lewis's hometown of houston uh, just a couple hours up the road in dallas he's going to try to get it back and standing in his way will be pavlovich the 30 year old russian 15 and 1 overall three and one since joining the ufc as uh i believe a uh, champ in fight nights global but at the very least one of their biggest standouts He lost his debut to Alistair Overeem. Since then, he's come back with three straight wins over Marcelo Golm, Maurice Green, and Shamil Adurakimov, all three of those first-round knockouts. The most recent of them, the Adurakimov fight, was at UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Aspinall, a.k.a. the first UFC London this year, back in March. Odds on this one. Lewis, as, as befits a longtime top contender, is the favorite here, but just the barest of favorites. He is minus one hundred twenty. Pavlovich available plus one hundred. This is the, this is the moment of truth for for Derek Lewis because the difference between his loss to Tuivasa and any of his other UFC losses, unless you go all the way back to like you know the Sean Jordan fight in his first or second UFC fight, yeah. is he got beat by a guy that would appear to have been a lesser version of himself. Tuivasa is a brawler who has become surprisingly more technical than he was early in his UFC run. That should have been a guy tailor-made for Derek Lewis to blast. And Lewis got knocked out cleanly. It wasn't this surreal gone thing where the TKO was half just because he was trapped he wasn't able to go anywhere and Gom was just punching him until uh Dan Mergliata like jumped in. Tuivasa Ice Lewis. Um that's disturbing because the book appeared to have been written on Lewis. Yeah, there's about two people in the world who can beat him and the people that really like handled him like it was like Daniel Cormier with like you know the the takedowns. For him to just straight up lose a striking match to a younger guy, it makes me wonder: Is Derek Lewis now on the downside? Was this just a one-off thing where he got he got into too much of a brawl, hoping to get a highlight reel knockout in front of his hometown fans? Because you know it was a back and forth first round, but when he lost in the second round, he appeared to be like loading up for something big, biding his time, and just got caught with that elbow that really he shouldn't have. So. Is he slowing down? He's 37. 37 isn't old for heavyweight, but it's old for heavyweight if you don't care anymore. It's old for heavyweight if the damage is caught up to you. Uh, The ironic thing is that after five or six years of his back being a punchline, his back did actually appear to be better in his last couple fights in like the gone, Dawkins Tuivasa fights. He looked leaner. He moved better. And still, he got knocked out, just clean, fair and square by Tuivasa. So that's what I ask myself going into the Pavlovich fight because if this is the new Derek Lewis, Sergey Pavlovich can absolutely uh, duplicate Tuivasa's routes to victory. Pavlovich is a good striker with good power. The uh, bigger, and I mean, he may not weigh more than Tai Tuivasa, but he's on a bigger frame and has more quality weight on his frame than Tuivasa. So if that if that's how Derek Lewis is from now on, Pavlovich, is, Pavlovich could knock him out. So the whole question for me really is, you know, is Derek has Derek Lewis given up on being a top level contender? Is he just cashing checks at this point? Is the damage accumulating? Because if it is, I think Pavlovich uh, either wins a lopsided decision where. Lewis just doesn't pull the trigger because he didn't want to keep getting busted up or he does get busted up and Pavlovich knocks him out inside of the first two rounds. If that was a one off, then there's still almost nobody who can outstrike Derek Lewis without him worried about being worried about the takedown or being surreal gone and having just the weird fainting game that really snake charmed everybody until he ran into Engano. Uh, Obviously, Lewis, a Houston guy, probably the most popular fighter in, in Texas, very beloved guy down here. It's hard for me to pick against him, but I wouldn't be surprised if if Pavlovich just shows us, no, this is the way Lewis is on, on the way out. I, I would not be surprised if this is a coronation for Pavlovich, but this is a big step up from the people Pavlovich has been beating. You know, Abdurakimov is a former top 10 guy who basically hadn't yeah. fought in like 3 years. Marcelo Maurice Green were not UFC level.
1: But was it wasn't that Abdurahimov just kind of like he's a top 10 just cuz right place right time kind of thing. Yeah,
0: right place right time. I mean, it, like again, even dilapidated Lewis is a huge step from a uh, step up from Abdurahimov. And you know what? Alistair Overeem like kind of catching a takedown out of a collision and then destroying Pavlovich with ground and pound is something that Lewis could absolutely do. Lewis's ground and pound is not talked about as much as his, like, knockouts on the feet, but it's some of the scariest ground and pound in the entire sport. It is terrifying. Yeah. Um, So I am picking Lewis here. I fully recognize that this is a precarious pick. I know why the odds are what they are. And, frankly, I'm a little surprised that Pavlovich isn't the slight favorite here. I'm surprised that they aren't reversed. And I don't think, as Fight Week powers on, that that's going to change as more money comes in on Lewis. But yeah,
1: yeah. What was the odds again?
0: Lewis minus one hundred and twenty. Pavlovich even money plus one hundred.
1: Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah I think that's be... I, honestly. I think yeah.
0: that's fair. Yeah, I agree. Like a far more accomplished fighter who has mm-hmm. some serious question marks hanging over him versus a guy on a streak who is taking a big step up in competition. Give me Derek Derek Lewis by first round knockout, and I'm going to say it looks like the Overeem fight. We get a few wild exchanges. And, you know, they clinch, they collide, you know, and Lewis trips them to the floor and uh, and smashes them with punches and elbows. My second most likely outcome, probably Pavlovich by second round TKO. But, yeah, yeah give me Lewis.
1: This is uh, – you said this is a a pivotal moment for Derek Lewis. I really think it's the same for Sergey Pavlovich is to find out if he's a true contender, if he can get by Derek Lewis. I mean, he's right in the title picture. That's, that's what a win like Derek Lewis does if he gets – if it's a Chris Dawkins situation where he's starched out in like the first good exchange, uh, then obviously uh, we think otherwise it's going to be the second time he fought a quality opponent and kind of got smashed. Uh, Derek Lewis, I mean, what else is the same? We know it is. He's a gigantic heavyweight. We've talked about this a million times. He moves much better than he gets credited for. He'll throw a flying knee. He'll throw some high kicks. I mean, he's very athletic. Uh, I've said this before. If you block his kick, he hits so hard that he just like moves you with the kick anyways. So it still looks, even when you block it, it still looks like he's landing. Uh, he's really good at just waiting, 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 and then just exploding. He's the hardest hitter in the history of the sport, or like, you know, at least the best knockout artists. He's had the most knockouts in the history of the UFC. He's way more accurate than he gets credited with. and, yeah, I've said this about Francis Ngannou. He obviously goes with Derek Lewis too. He doesn't have to, even though he is accurate. He doesn't have to land clean. He can land a, a grazing shot and he puts you out. Um, he he's been really measuring his opponents now. Good at picking up the timing. a perfect example of that is the Curtis Blades one. As soon as Curtis Blades came in, Derek Lewis caught him with a big shot. Obviously, put him out. Uh, he's <coughs> he. He gets like a lot of people think he has a bad gas tank, which I think is the complete opposite. He looks like he does. He has bad body language, so he really looks like he's slowing down. But we've seen countless times deep into fights where he he might even need to come come back and he finds a way to get a stoppage because he hits so hard. Uh, He he, you had to basically fight Derek Lewis. Perfect. Uh, That's in the guys who beat him have done that. Uh you look at, like, the Ilya Latifi fight. Latifi's... And this was not a fight, like, not an example of, like, landing a big shot. But, I mean, uh, for... If you're... Derek Lewis was have a bad gas tank, why does he win a decision in a grueling, wrestle-heavy matchup against, like, a guy like Latifi? Now, he has a... a tarot- Go ahead.
0: If I may, the the stat I always like to throw out. He's now the UFC's all time leader in knockouts. Before that, he was the heavyweight division's all time leader in knockouts. But long before that, he was already the UFC's all time leader in knockouts in the third round or later.
1: Well, there you go. So yeah, that that
0: is not the stat of a guy with a bad gas tank.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's a complete opposite. Um, it just the look of him. You think he would have a bad gas tank? <laughs> um, he. He is a bad wrestler. He's a terrible wrestler, but he's very good at exploding back to his feet, hard to to hold it down. He's one of these guys like you can start landing shots on him, and again, even when we say he explodes on his feet, he also explodes on the ground. He just wait, 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 and then suddenly push you off and get up. Mm-hmm. You, I love that you mentioned the grind and pound. These, I've said before, like a nightmare would be Derek Lewis on top of you, dropping those those hammers. us uh, is the only person to catch him, but I'm not worried about his chin. I, I'm more worried about him being gun shy in this fight. Like we saw against the Francis Gano, and again, this this a long time ago. And he's had so many fights since, but where he was a little gun shy against a guy like Francis. Gano, I wonder if he'd be the same way against Pavlovich being that he did just get caught, did just get knocked out. And then everything you said, the damage, the, the extra weight that he carries, the back injuries, all this stuff. Like, is he, is this like going to be a big decline for him? And, you know he loses this fight, then he loses to a lesser guy, and it just everything kind of turns ugly. That's a big question mark now. Pavlovich, he's for a while we talked about the younger, new guys in the scene. Like going back like six months ago, we talked about Chris Dacus and Tom Aspinall. We throw guys' name out. Like Sergey Pavlovich was not one of those guys that we threw his name out, and and really, really, really should have. Uh, he's fifteen and one. If he's sixteen and zero, he's he's the favorite in this fight. He's Probably a two to one favorite. And we've talked about this before just that undefeated mystique about you. And he's, he's, it was a loss four years ago to Alistair Overeem, which and, is not it. Again,
0: no, well, that, and that illustrates the flip side of the undefeated fighter thing because a lot of people, myself included, went, oh, well, he's a bust. He must have been overrated. And I didn't really pay attention as he just kind of came back and just started yeah. winning fights again.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> not mentioned. Al Sarvey is one of the greatest fighters of all time. And, and his
0: ground game is always criminally underrated. Uh,
1: yeah. We've always said he, he's called a striker. He's better ground. He's better wrestler yeah. than he is a striker. Uh, but Pavlovich, he's he's a good athlete for the division. He's one of the better athletes for the division, as you mentioned. He's got quick hands. He's pretty technically sound. His right hand is a beautiful thing. His left hook is a, a beautiful thing. He's got big, big power. We saw that in his last three fights, three knockouts. Not much of a kicking game. He doesn't really check kicks, so so um, that's something I, I, I kind of hope he would add to his game. He did show off wrestling in Fight Nights Global, but so far in the UFC, he has not rested at all. If he doesn't wrestle with Derek Lewis, then maybe he's wrestling something that he's lost over the ways. Uh, he did, eventually you mentioned, go back to LLC, over he struggled to get off his back. If he's pinned down, um, that's something questionable. But again, he's struggled to get off with Alice Overeem on top of him. At the base of the cage, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, And he, you know, get hurt with with elbows. And he's not a submission threat. That's not his game. This is a hard one to pick. I I wanted to go with Sergey Pavlovich. I really did. Um, I was thinking about it until today. If he wrestles, he probably wins. I... And I think he could hurt. I think he could hurt Lewis. It really could. And mm-hmm. if he, if he starches Lewis knocks him on the first round, then it's probably a little bit of a combination of both things of him being just a really good star in the division, really hard hitter and the decline of Derek Lewis. Like it is the perfect time for them to kind of cross pass on that, like upward escalated downward escalated thing going. But as I said, you have to be perfect against Derek Lewis, one flurry, one shot. That's all it takes from Derek Lewis. And it's in Texas. I'm going to say he he gives the crowd what he wants. I think Derek Lewis has that moment. I think he lands one big shot. I think he puts Pavlovich out. You went first. I think you said first round, right?
0: Yeah, I, I probably should have said second because Lewis isn't going to do anything for the first three minutes. But yeah, I said first.
1: Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go second then. I think he's one of those things where everything's, Going good for Pavlich, and just me it's not. Give me Derek Lewis by second round All right. That brings us
0: to the co-main event of UFC 277, a men's flyweight interim title match between Brandon Moreno and Kai Cara France. Moreno, the former champ, is a 28-year-old from Mexico. He is 19-6-2 overall. He's 7-3-2 in the UFC. His last three fights, of course, have been a trilogy with uh, champ Davis and Figueiredo. The first of those uh, was a draw, which allowed Figueiredo to retain. In their second meeting, he choked him out in the third round, becoming the champ. In their third meeting back in January at UFC 270, he dropped a unanimous decision that was close enough to be somewhat contentious, but nonetheless did lose, uh, which let Figueiredo retain. Uh, Figueiredo then out with injury and a bunch of personal turmoil. I mean, left his longtime team, left his manager, Walid Ishmael, moved to Team Alpha Male, has favor, Faber uh, now managing him, a whole bunch of drama. But nonetheless, UFC making an interim belt here which good for Moreno cuz it was pretty much his only way back to another shot at the undisputed title anytime in the near future. Standing in his way will be Kai Kara-France. The 29-year-old New Zealander is 24 and 9 with one no contest overall. He is 7 and 2 in the UFC. Since losing to Brandon Royval Uh, Back in September of 2020, he has rattled off three straight wins, those over Rogerio Bontorin, Cody Garbrandt, and Askar Askarov. The most recent of those, the Askarov fight, was back in March at UFC on ESPN Blades versus Dawkins. Moreno is the slight favorite. Actually, he's the moderately comfortable favorite to pick up at least the interim version of the gold that he once wore. He is minus 210 right now. Cara France, plus 170. Keith, uh you gave kind of a face when I mentioned the odds there. Yeah. Uh, who do you think wins this fight? And how do you think it looks?
1: Well it's a five I, rounder. I, I, yeah, I'm surprised at how big of a favorite that Moreno is. And I mean I get it. He's oh. he's the big
0: you know what, let me interject here. I should mention before I even let Keith go, these two have history. They fought back in December of 2019. So not even three years ago, it was a three round fight at that time. That was a UFC 245. Moreno came out on the winning end of a unanimous decision that was nonetheless close. Uh Car France definitely picked up one round there.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I get why he's the favorite. He, he won the last fight. He's the bigger name. He's the former champion. A lot of people thought he should have kept the title against Figueroa. Uh, they're one one and one against each other. So it's not like it's it's he lost a trilogy or anything like that. Um so I, I get he's a fair I just I, I didn't expect it to be that big. I expected it to be like one negative one sixty five, one seventy, something like that. And again, I, that's not what I'm saying how I'm picking it. Um Kai, Kai French is really good. So this is a really good matchup. I don't like that it's for the interim title. Um, I know figure he's got, I looked, he's got two injured hands. Both of his hands are, out. they fought, he fought six months ago. It's like, he's been out that long. I just, I don't like interim titles just thrown out there. When, when Frank Mayer broke his, was the heavyweight champion, uh, the first time. And he completely broke his leg in a motorcycle accident. And he was, there was the, there was, he was out for years. There was talks mm-hmm. that he would never fight again. sorry. I mean, at one point they thought he was not going to walk again, you know? Um, yeah. Okay. They've, they, Adjalevsky waited on the silence forever before they, you know, they, they, well, they made an the interim champion, then they made him the, the actual champion. But like it was a long time. Like that's, it was over a
0: start, year before they stripped. Yeah. Him.
1: Like that's what interim champions, like that's what happens.
0: And, and uh, that's someone that Dana personally dislikes. Like Dana doesn't like Frank Mir, personally. And they still waited over a year to strip the guy. Yeah. Uh,
1: Henning, Hen and Burau getting the, getting the interim title because Dominic Cruz was, was out forever. We just throw him. No, no reason at all. We just throw these ones because a guy a guy can't defend the the time type people that they say. Like he, um, I mean, Francis Ngannou out for a really long time. Like he's wanted to get interim that, but um, I, I just don't like it. It is what it is. Um, <laughs> the, the, I'm not gonna talk about Bellator the Grand Prix with the uh, interim. They're fighting for the interim. Whatever. Oh my goodness. Uh, so. <laughs> I just say like, right now Stas is the interim champion. What happens if he has to pull out with an injury? Interim, interim. And they have interim, interim? <laughs> um, anyways, uh, as far as this fight, it, it, it's going to be a really good fight. Both guys are really good. Uh, Brandon Marino, he's a he's a a boxer that has really quick hands. He he destroyed Kaya France, and I shouldn't say destroyed, but he he won the first fight with just working a jab, busy jab. Mm-hmm. He did the same thing against Figueroa in the second fight. He's got plus power, really sits on his punches. Go back to his last fight against Figueroa. He's he stunned Figueroa a couple times, buckled him a couple times. Good head movement, very bob and weave style. Uh, a lot of also shoulder rolls. So like I said, he's very back boxing, <laughs> Mexican boxing style. Good kicks. Uh, I love his high kick. I've talked about this before. He has this Robert Whitaker high kick where he dips to the left side and throws the high kick uh, over the top. Um, So he 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 is open to leg kicks himself. He doesn't really check leg kicks, which which I don't like. Um, But um, he's also he took a lot of damage in that last figure. He was dropped several times by Figueroa, which is a little concerning. He's a good wrestler. He he's got nine takedowns. Yeah, uh, in his, like his last, I forgot what it was, but he's got nine takedowns. List, like like I want to say like four or five fights in the UFC. But on the flip side, he's been taken down 15 times in the UFC, so that's a little troublesome. But he's good. He's good at scrambling. He's good at like not accepting the takedown if he's taken down. He does a lot of Grammy rolls. Good, good, uh, underrated grappling. Good back takes. I mean, he, he is a submission he's He submitted Figueredo, which says mm-hmm. a lot. And then he's very hard to submit himself. In he's, he's, he's just fighting with a lot of confidence too. Like, I, I don't think a loss to figure out is going to take away his confidence. I mean, that was a, that was an absolute war, which both guys could have, could have won. Kyle France, everything I just said about uh Moreno and his confidence, Kyle France, is the same thing, but I mean, he's looking better and better every fight. He's, he's a very good boxer, accurate, busy jab, throws straight tight shots down the middle his straight right is his best punch. He's really good at moving all the way in, landing shots, and then getting out. Um, very what we kind of saw with Molly, Molly McCann the other day, uh, avoiding shots. Good head movement, constantly bounces his head off the center line, has a very slip and rip style where he, he avoids a shot, lands a big one. One of the hardest hitters in the division, with all due respect to the to the current champion, Figueredo. <laughs> uh, I talked about Moreno with his uh, Robert Whitaker high kick. That's something Kaya Car France likes to do too. Um, uh, dip to one side through the high kick over this over the top. Good calf kicks. Uh, I like when he has opponent hurt. Uh, and, and like I said, he can hit. I mean, he starched uh, Hajero starched Gar Garbrant. I said this last time, he's composed, he hurt Garbrant. And instead of just flurrying in and missing shots and giving Garbrandt a chance to maybe. Um, answer back with a shot of his own or grab a leg, he didn't. He saw everything he was throwing. He was composed. He was cutting angles, uh, land one shot, cut an angle, land another shot, Re- very calculated way how he put out Garberant. Um, defensively, high guard defense. Things that are concerning, though, and this is going back to the first fight against Marino, he didn't like Marino pressing him. He also, he isn't a good wrestler, but he showed in fantasy against Askaroff, he can do enough to defend to kind of make his opponent tired. We saw a lot of like looking for switches, looking for splatels, uh, very funk style wrestling. Uh, but he did get submitted by Brandon Roy Val so somewhat recently, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, this, this is a fantastic fight. If I'm if I'm coaching Moreno, I'm telling him to fight exactly the same way he fought last time. push the pace, uh, beat him with the output, work behind the jab, uh Car France could catch him with a big shot. He's he's fighting so well right now. Wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, he's he's he can't get out volumes. He can't let Moreno out volume. He's gonna have to avoid the takedowns. Very underrated grappling game by Moreno. I think we have a back and forth fight. I think the fight's gonna be you you said the last fight was close. I think this fight could be much closer, but uh, I think Moreno's gonna get the better of him. I think we're gonna have um some really fun exchanges, but I actually think Moreno's gonna catch him, uh take his back in and, and a really back-and-forth fight, but I think he's going to take his back. I think he's going to submit him. Give me Moreno by fourth-round submission.
0: I'm with you here. Down to the round and method. My thought was just, you know, after re-watching their, their first fight, okay, which of these guys has changed more? In what ways have they changed? And which things, you know, that cost them in the first fight, you know, might they have shored up? I think things actually... It favors Moreno that this is a five round fight. He has a lot more recent experience in five round fights. I mean, he went five rounds with Figueroa twice. He went five rounds with uh, Sergio Pettis. He's you know, he's yeah, he's he been trained. five rounds multiple he times. Trained.
1: Even though he didn't go five rounds, he trained for the five round fight three times. Yeah. Which yeah. again, we've talked about before. It changes the whole point. way you train. Good point. And
0: while both of these guys, you know, have admittedly difficult cuts. Car France is another, like, a huge flyweight. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, I just – I i see Moreno's pressure still giving Car France problems. And the one thing that's, that's changed is Car France has always been a hard hitter. I mean, he had a ton of uh, knockouts on the Oceanic scene on his way up. It's one of the things that made him kind of pop out to me as a prospect – you know, like right before he signed with the UFC. I was like, not many people flyweight like have that kind of power in their hands. I want to see this guy in the UFC. And then it didn't really show up early on. And he's found it more recently, I think for a couple of reasons, like, but primary among them is confidence and poise. You pointed out perfectly that he, uh, starched garbrandt because he stayed calm and stayed accurate after he heard him and that just lets the natural power in his strikes i think do more and better work for him but uh moreno's advantages on the ground i think are gonna are gonna come out again and i think they're gonna come out the longer the fight goes as car france gets tired as he you know, probably gets frustrated from being on his back foot. And I literally was going to pop out the same thing as you. Give me Moreno to maybe not necessarily shoot a takedown, but they just end up on the ground off of a cot kick or just something that happens in the clinch. And once they're on the ground, uh, Moreno takes us back, chokes him out, fourth round. And Moreno has another title, even if it's an interim title. And barring something weird, we get a fourth fight between Figueredo and Moreno you know sometime late this year early next year with that we come to the main event of UFC 277 a rematch for the women's bantamweight title between Juliana Peña and Amanda Nunes peña the champ 32 years old fighting out of washington state she is 11 and 4 overall she is 7 and 2 since joining the ufc as the winner of the 18th season of the ultimate fighter she of course was victorious in her last uh, outing, choking out Nunez in the second round last December at UFC 269 in one of the biggest upsets in UFC history, both in terms of the raw odds and just the narrative and the expectations and the optics. She will uh, look to hold on to her title in a rematch with Nunez, the former bantamweight champ, still featherweight champ, 34-year-old Brazilian, a uh, longtime American top team product fighting out of Florida is 21 and five overall. She's 14 and two in the UFC. She is 11 and two at bantamweight. weight. Uh, she lost her last time out to Pena. She lost a long time ago to Kat Zingano. And in between, you got about a dozen straight wins that saw her pick up those two belts. The odds off the top of my head. I want to say Nunez was around a minus nine fifty favorite the first time. The second time, she is still a substantial favorite. She is minus 275 as wow. of Sunday of fight week. Pena plus 225 on the comeback.
2: Wow.
0: In thinking about this rematch, well, let me let me roll back first back to December. After the initial shock of the fight wore off, I asked myself the same question I asked after, after Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey. Did we see a fluke? And I don't mean a fluke in the sense that someone slipped on a banana peel, but just yeah, a, a an unlikely occurrence, or did we see someone lay down a repeatable path to victory against a fighter that we did think was unbeatable? And and I think I thought the same thing yes. all the way back in 2007 when Matt Sarah beat George St. Pierre uh-huh. in another of the biggest upsets in UFC history. After Sarah beat St. Pierre. I said, well, that's not, a, that's not a fluke. Sarah threw the punch he meant to throw, it landed, and the fight ended. But if they fight 10 times, it only looks like that once. Yeah. After home beat Rousey, I said, okay, Holm exposed serious flaws in Rousey's game, and if they fight 10 times, it probably looks like that almost every time or something like it. Just 7 hold, 10, like, 10. Yeah, like Rousey just running and swinging at air, Holmes slipping out the side and just sure. n- left hand glued to her face. After Pena versus Nunez, I said, what did Juliana Pena do to beat Nunez that all these underdogs, but frankly more accomplished women who on paper deserve to be there more couldn't do? Because Pena survived the first round onslaught of Nunez. Nunez got tired and got tired quick. And then from there, Pena hurt her on the feet, was able to uh, get her on the ground and choked her out. And I mean, choked her out from being hurt and tired as much as Pena just being this like otherworldly grappler. If that was a, 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 an easy path to victory, other people would have done it. Why wouldn't Felicia Spencer have been able to do that? Jermaine Doran me. Yeah. Jermaine Durandomi. me. Like, and, Nunez beat Deronamy both ways. She yeah. blitzed her in the first round, and then she just soundly, patiently outstruck her for five rounds. Like she beat Felicia Spencer without breaking a sweat.
1: Why and, couldn't Chris Cyborg do that?
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. If you come at Nunez in the first round, you're going to get the worst of the of the the sloppy brawl that ensues. Yet Pena forced a sloppy brawl, survived, and outlasted. It was not a thing where. Nunez's focus wasn't there. Didn't have a great camp. Already thinking about domestic bliss after this. She talked about retirement.
1: she yeah, talked about there, getting yeah. up there in age. She's one who's has relied on speed and power. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, she's obviously very technical too, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's more, she be, she's better than because she's so much more powerful and more speed. Like, mm-hmm. is that diminishing, diminishing? These are questions we got to ask? Yeah, th- those are the questions you, you have to
0: ask. So, My pick for this fight really hinges on that as much as anything. It's kind of the same dynamic I I mentioned when talking about the Lewis fight. Is Lewis just falling off? Or was that a bad night at the office? Because... It was weird to see Nunez get tired that fast. And that's the difference yeah. you get between when you are dictating the pace of the fight and the other person is dictating it to you. Like very famously, everyone said BJ Penn had a terrible gas tank. No, he had a terrible gas tank when he was losing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like when, when Matt, he was winning. He was his elbow on him in the, in the gut. Yeah. 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 Th- yeah. If, if you make him
0: work, if you make him move when he doesn't want to move, then of course his gas tank is bad. When he's dictating it, it he was fresher than Diego Sanchez when he kicked his face off. <laughs>
2: yeah, and right. Diego
0: Sanchez had legendary cardio. Like, yeah. in th- if that round, if that fight went to a fourth round, that should have seriously favored Diego Sanchez, but Penn thrashed yeah. him. Like, so is the problem that Nunez just allowed Pena to kind of put her on the back foot? Like, usually when someone runs right at Nunez, they die. Yeah. Cyborg died <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> going right, right at Nunez.
1: Uh, He's got dropped like two or three times,
0: yeah. I understand why Nunez, you know, seven months after getting choked out is again, almost a three to one favorite to win this fight, because I need to see it again to believe it. Uh, I don't know if Nunez wasn't focused enough last time. I don't know if she had a bad camp, a bad cut. I don't want to make excuses for, and I don't want to diminish what Pena did because it was an incredible moment. Uh, but Nunez has a lot of pride. She invests a lot of herself in being the baddest woman on the planet. It matters to her. She I'm, she might be thinking about retirement, but she wanted to go out on her own terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it disturbs me a little bit that uh, like, she seems to be spending more time kind of training with her own team. You know, I would love to know what the split of time is between that and ATT for this one. But my big call, my big guess here is that Nunez is very motivated for this, is taking it very seriously. And if nothing else, she had very specific things that she could take back to the drawing board, back to Mike Brown and say, okay, what do we do to stop this from happening next time? And if that's true, then what you still have in Amanda Nunez at age, what is she, 35, 34? Yeah, just yeah. turned 34. Uh, you still have, as you mentioned, someone who is quite technical, but what makes it run is the enormous amount of power there is behind all of her strikes. She's good at basically every range. I mean, she has, I mean, she lanced Holly Holm with a head kick. She's great from range. And if you come inside, I think, I think she's the nastiest foam booth fighter in the sport, like male or female, any weight class. Like if you're someone of her same gender and size, she is the nastiest person to have each of you with like a, a, a single collar tie. Just everything inside is brutal knees are brutal uppercuts mugs you with elbows uh if she, juliana she pena made, tries
1: she started she made a girl like raquel Pennington. i shouldn't say girl, a woman like raquel Pennington, yeah. who's known for her toughness want to quit
0: yeah 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 it was and that was the most savage beating of, of that yeah. year if if pena comes with the same general game plan here i think nunez is ready for it and i think nunez knocks her out in the first round Wow. And that's that's my pick here.
1: Wow. Let me ask you this before I kind of get into my breakdown. I, I've seen a lot of people say that this is a legacy fight for Amanda Nunes and all the pressures on her. She can't lose twice to Juliana Pena. The GOAT status will be up there. All this stuff. Do you agree with that? No. I don't either. I think no. it's... If she st- I mean, when she lost it
0: made me bump Valentina Shevchenko to the top pound-for-pound woman in sport.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: But her, her like, overall historical legacy, her, like, that, no, no. It, it, and Val has a few more things to do, I think, before we're having that conversation.
1: Yeah, so I... Yeah, well, first of all, she's... Valentina Shevchenko is going to have a hard time because I think she has two losses to managing this. That's always going to be... Uh, trump card for many nunes the thing like i don't think the pressure's on manis i think all the pressures on juliana peña i think this is a likely. wasn't fight. a fluke yeah i think this is a yeah. likely fight for juliana pena because um you you're going to have outs for manies nunes. nunes loses again it's well she's up there in age mind you she's been fighting in two weight classes she's fighting in our lower weight class how much you know she gassed out say 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 the fight looks exactly the same way again. Second round, mm-hmm. she's trying to lose it. Pena takes it down, whatever. You know, you start saying, Well, how much of that weight cut? She's a bigger one. At this age, you know, mid-30s, can she still make the weight class? That's that's only that she's a mother now, she's fought everybody. Like, there is an out. And then you always have the I mean, there's no argument right now who's the greatest fighter in the history of women's division. She's got two wins over <laughs> Valentinko. Uh, starched Chris Cyborg, starched Ronda are You ready
0: for my favorite stat? Uh, if I, she gets it back, if she okay, gets
1: sorry. it back against Pena, oh no, say it. Oh, I'll, okay. No, 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 you finish it. I'll, I'll give you one after. If she gets it back against Pena on Saturday, she
0: has a win over every woman who has ever held a title in any of the divisions she's competed in in Bellator or the UFC.
1: Okay. I was going to say this with very similar stats if she beats Juliana Pena and then somehow fights Nico Montaña somehow at end of her career like, you know and beats Nico Montaña she would have a win over every single champion in the history of the UFC flyweight bantamweight and featherweight division yikes like anybody you want to bring in the goat conversation she's beaten uh, she's beat, high-kicked Holly Holmes. She's smashed Misha Tate or Ronda Rousey. Uh, even like, even though when you say like, oh, look how big Megan Anderson is. Big Megan Anderson, six feet tall, smashes her. I mean, she's, uh, g- talking about Bellator. Um, Julia Budd. Julia Bud. Yeah. Cyborg. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we've, if this is the, starting of the decline of Amanda Nunez where she's not the best. Maybe she loses this one. Maybe she loses one or two more fights and then she retires. It's okay. We've seen that with other fighters. I mean, yes, uh, and John Jones still in, in, you know, in his run, uh, other than Habib and, and George St. Pierre who had to avenge losses, but George St. Pierre retired on top. Very few people get to do that. We saw DC and his career on two losses. We saw, Anderson Silver lose a bunch of times. Jose Aldo lose a bunch of times. Like, I don't look at Anderson Silver any different. I look at him as, other than, I don't know, Tom Brady. Everybody declines as they get older. <laughs> Michael Jordan was not a great, like, he was good, but he wasn't great with the Wizards. Like, nope. it happens. Like, it's the human beings. So, yeah, I think it's all on Junior Pena. Does she get viewed as Matt Sarah gets viewed. We're like, oh, that was such a nice moment for you. Were you viewed for one moment? Yeah, I know she has the ultimate fighter too, but so is Matt Sarah. But like, do you get viewed for one moment or do you get viewed like, remember when TJ Dillashaw was, beat Hennon Burrow and then everyone was still thought it was a fluke? Like, ah, oh, yep. that was such a great night. And Hennon Burrow And, and Dillashaw was
0: an underdog in the rematch.
1: And then Dillashaw beat the shit out of him again. Like, the second time was just as bad as the, might, might have been worse. The second, actually he stopped it the second time, didn't he? Oh no, he stopped yep. it both times. He said earlier, I think.
0: Yeah, um, no, no, it was it was even worse the, the second yeah, time. Yeah. and honestly, it's funny you mentioned that some of the same narratives because it was like, well, you know, Burrell was this unbeatable guy, but we always knew he had a terrible weight cut, and you know, yeah. Dillashaw just beat him with volume and pressure.
1: Like Burrell comes back better, and yeah, you know, nobody even thought Dillashaw should have got that time. There was somebody else, there yeah. was somebody else was like in line at that time, but it was Dillashaw got it. No one thought he should have, and all that stuff. That like this is all on Judah's you know, opinion. In my opinion. I really think it is. Um, so as as far as a breakdown goes. No, one one I,
0: last prediction question sure. before you go into the breakdown. Sure, sure, And this is something we'll discuss if we need to on the recap. If Juliana Peña loses on Saturday, does it at least have to be close for her to even get a trilogy, yeah. like a rubber match? Like well, if Nunes just thrashes her, do they not even bother making the third fight?
1: I wasn't prepared to th- answer a question like that. I think so. I mean, like she might eventually because the division is, is yeah. not like Matt Sarah never got the trilogy fight. One seventy was so loaded. You had mm-hmm. Matt Hughes waiting and Josh Koscheck and J- J- Jake Shields. There's like, yeah. who's waiting at one one thirty five? Nobody. Yeah, like I don't know. if She gets an instant. I mean, if it's a close war, I, I guess that's what I mean. Like,
0: does she not get an instant one if this is not just if a beatdown?
1: Now she gets blown out. And then the question out.
0: is, does she make it back before Nunez retires?
1: That's another tough question. Yeah. How many more fights does yeah. Nunez have? Yeah. Uh, I'll say this. A lot of people said what, how motivated she was. I think Nunez is more motivated than people think. I mean, you're not going to go to the Ultimate Fighter Show. You're not going to give up six weeks of your life doing that if if you're not motivated. Or six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is. Um, it's it just, does she still have the skill? Now, <sighs> Juliana Pena, she was always like a mediocre striker, but suddenly she stands in the pocket with the deadliest striker in the history of the sport, really maybe against any weight class, and she lands the better shots. Like, she didn't outstrike her, like, dodging shots, countering. No, she stood in the pocket. Like, the the if you went into the last fight and you said, okay, you 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 can't give Juliana Pena tons of advice, but you can give her one advice. Like everyone's one advice, to be like, hey, don't stand in the pocket and swing it out with with the minute it is. No, that's exactly what she did. Yeah.
0: Watch it, the it, watch the cyborg fight and don't do that.
1: Yeah, don't don't swing it out there. Like that's the worst yeah. thing you do. Grind, maybe you got take down, try to tie her out that way. But she showed a great chin, obviously an incredible heart, and I think it was a little bit of a mental thing. She was gaining confidence that mm-hmm. she could eat the shots from Amanda Nunez. And Amanda Nunez, I think, was as tired as she was, I think it was a little bit of a mental break. She's always bullied people, and they didn't go down. And I mean, everyone goes down, but she didn't go down. And when she got a takedown, she hasn't been in a tough position in God knows how long. Kat Singano fight uh, forever ago. And honestly, she tapped really quick. Like, the hook wasn't even in. I don't even know if the, I couldn't tell if the choke was even in. Uh, it was one of those ones. Now I'm I'm not saying, Amanda Nadez is a quitter. I'm not saying Amanda Nunez is not mentally tough. You don't realize to be the greatest fighter in history. I'm saying I'm just saying in this one moment, she kind of checked out a little bit. I think. Um, now, she, Penn w- <laughs> wasn't avoiding shots. She was willing to eat a shot to land one of her own. I don't know if that's a good strategy in the second fight. Um, I I don't think she was hurting Pena as as much as Pena was getting tired and that kind of was buckling her a little bit. I, I still think Pena, uh, I'm sorry, with Nunez. I, I was saying the back was. I don't think Nunez was getting hurt by Pena because of Pena's po- uh, power. I think it was more of Nunez getting tired. Uh, Pena's hand speed is still a little bit of an issue for me. She is the minus athlete. But if she can close the distance, she can get in that clinch. It, it started before the exchanges in the pocket. There was some clinching at the end of the first round. She can get in there, grind, tire Nunez out, get to the body lock, look for some takedowns, um, get the fight to the ground any way possible. She, she can win a fight that way. Um, I really think the cardio is the big. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like going off on limb here. I think most people are saying the cardio is the way to outwork her, outtired her. I think the submission game of Julian Peña is grossly overrated. She's a top-side grappler, but she she struggled at times. Like I mean, Nico Montana was taking her down, having success. She's been submitted in the past by Valentina Shevchenko. She was surprisingly submitted by Jermaine Derondamine, who's not known for a grappler. And I think that actually just her submission game is overrated. This was her first submission since she was on the tough show. So I, I think that's really being overplayed. Now Amanda Nunez, obviously she's a kickboxer who's a really good athlete. Now that's the big question mark. Is she still that really good athlete? Has she lost even a step at all? We don't know. She has some physical tools that she will never lose. The One big thing is that like long, like overly long frame, like overly long arms, very like Kamaru Usman type frame where mm-hmm. she's longer than you think she is. Uh, she's quick. She throws tight inside shots. She has good variety of shots. She has a powerful jab. Like, there were some really good things Amanda Nunes did in their first fight. She dropped Pena with the first jab she threw. Uh, she has a deadly straight right. She has a deadly left hook. Um, she can land power shots while being charged. She, can, um, she has really good vision. But she kind of sees what's coming at her. She's the hardest hitter in the history of the sport. She's got really good leg kicks. Her first – the first exchange they had, she dropped Peña with a calf kick, the first blow thrown. Dropped it, took it right, knocked it right down. Um, she obviously has that wicked high kick where she caught Holly Holm. Uh, she isn't a wizard on the ground. Like, I don't – Valentin Shochenko is a much more well-rounded fighter than, than Amanda Nunez without the – you know, like earth shattering power that Mananunas has. But she, she can grapple a little bit. She's she gets takedown. She's a good top side grapple. She was winning the, the first round grappling exchanges against Juliana Pena. Um she has great takedown defense. Usually I mean Pena got a really weird takedown but again more 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 tired than anything. And uh she's black belt. I mean so that's we don't see it a lot but we you know we saw it against and like uh, grappling. Um big thing Donna Cardio is her cardio gone. I'm with you uh, obviously I was way more confident in Amanda Nunez the first fight that I am now, but uh, I'm going to go with Nunez. I I really think she should fight just like we just saw Jack Hermanson fight Chris Curtis. And, and I think Johanna jo- a little bit like Chris Curtis where she's heavy in that front leg, uh, plotting kind of person. I think Nunez should kind of stick and move. Don't load up any power shots. She was doing that a lot. Like, I think she kind of felt disrespected by Pena. Like, how dare you stand there? And she was, I think she was trying to get a walk off one shot because she kept winging her overhand right, just winging it, trying to end the fight with one shot. I think she, now, if I'm coaching her, I'm making Nunez chase her. I, I, I'm beating her to a spot, land a shot, get out of the way. Um, kind of like a prime J check used to do. um, she has huge. She has a huge power advantage. She has the accuracy advantage. She has a speed advantage. She has an overall athleticism advantage. Just does she have the cardio advantage? I think if if she gets the advice, like remember when Trevor Whitman was cornering Justin Gaethje against Tony Ferguson, and Gaethje was open up, and he said, "Hey, stop trying to end him with one punch. Just touch him." I think he said something like, "I think seventy like, percent or something." Seventy percent, yeah, like seventy percent, eighty percent. If she just Holds back her power just a little bit, just touches a little bit more. Those 78 power. and then when the open presents itself, she still even 70% punches. When Meninos is like everybody else in the division, is 100%, maybe, maybe not even. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think she eventually finds the finish with a big blow, and, and I think she drops uh Pena after I think she batters Pena for a couple rounds and then puts her out. I'm not going to go as confident, go first round. I actually think it might, she might make a statement again a little later round. Uh, I think she beats her up and finishes in, uh, I'll say, uh, beginning of the third round. Nunez by TKO.
0: All right. The round in question does vary, but both Shillen and Duffy are calling for Amanda Nunez to get uh, her lost hardware back via TKO in the rematch with Juliana Pena. That has been the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 277. I have been Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If you're joining us for the first time, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please, by all means, do like, subscribe, leave a comment in the comment section. It is Keith and I reading and responding to those. We'd love to hear from you. If we think, if you think we're way off base about any of these picks, let us know. We'll yeah. see how it ages. Uh, we're post both big enough men. Yeah, post your picks. Uh, anybody, anybody goes like 13-0, and 0, like, we'll throw it on the recap. We'll give you the props. Oh yeah, we'll we'll give you props. And uh we're both man enough to admit when we're wrong, which eh, on some cards is frequently. Last week we both did great. We'll see about this week. But most importantly, join us on the recap. Uh we do a SureDog Radio recap on the SureDog YouTube page. It'll be uh eh, it's usually about 15 minutes after the main event. It is usually both of us uh going live talking about all these fights, what's good, what was bad, what was controversial, always something. The live chat is wide open during those recaps, so we are taking your comments, your questions, your reactions in real time. Usually a lot of humor going on there. There's usually something to laugh about that happened in the cage. It is usually both of us, like I said, this coming week. Uh, it won't be. It is Keith with a mystery special guest to be Ooh. revealed because on the night that a UFC pay-per-view is happening in Dallas, I'm going to be in Austin probably playing the guitar for like 15 people uh but that's that's my problem i gotta keep some hobbies uh between now and then thank you for watching enjoy the rest of your week and by all means enjoy the fights
1: take one take a half a second hit like yeah take a half second hit like